LSG Media presents a Game of Thrones podcast. All right, we are back for the sixth episode of the seventh season, Beyond the Wall. And we are going to be talking about plenty this week, I am very sure. So why don't we dive right in and uh, and chit-chat about this. Uh, Jessica, you made me go first last time. Do you want to do that again? I mean, if you want to go first, sure. You tell me. Go right ahead. Okay. So uh, when I watched Beyond the Wall, I sat down Sunday. I was very excited to, to watch this bad boy. And let me just start by saying we were critical of last week's installment um, as it relates to uh, some of the plotting involving Sansa and Arya um, and a couple other things. We we did talk a little bit about the travel. And we did mention when we talked about this series, not the series, the season as a whole, we did say, yeah, there's some travel fuckery, whatever. We get it. No big deal. It's not going to be that big of a deal. I don't really care if it's not really impacting the story. And I still stand by that, that I don't, unless the travel times get super funky, um, then they will not really ruin the story for me because I don't care about travel times. And I think when you see people discussing Game of Thrones, specifically this season, there's a lot of things like it feels different. It's it's weird. It, it lacks a certain je ne sais quoi. Can I say that? It lacks something. And um, people have attributed this to the lack of source material. The fact that Benioff and Weiss are largely responsible for what we're seeing. They're not working out of George R. R. Martin's playbook and all this other shit. So the only thing I care about is good television. The only thing I care about is good storytelling and interesting characters and entertainment. Okay? That's why we all sit down to watch Game of Thrones, to be entertained, to enjoy what we're watching. Now... I do also understand that people have been watching the show for seven years, and when they feel like it's going in a direction that feels counterintuitive to the way you would imagine it would go based on the six seasons before it, you start to get a little annoyed as if this, as if the showrunners owe you something, right? Which is the first funny thing. And as if something has, has somehow been ripped away from you. So the first thing I'm going to tell you to do is everybody just relax a little. I know there's plenty of hate out there, but there's plenty to like too. And forget about travel times. They only matter if they are so egregiously false that it ruins the show, which I guess they've there've been some math done out here for Raven flight speed and dragon flight speed and all the shit. And that's fine. I don't even care about that. The only thing I care about is how it affects the story and what we're trying to do here and how it makes... Westeros maybe seem a bit smaller than it used to feel. And I think that's kind of the complaints. Uh, Things like Cersei saying when she got to Winterfell, remember season one, we've been on the road for a month. Really? Been on the road for a month from Winterfell to, uh, from King's Landing to Winterfell. So things like this, things like, and I put a Facebook post on, things like John traveling north of the wall or or to, to the wall with Tyrion. Things like Brand going north of the wall for a long time, which people then complain nothing happened, which is true, but that's not because of travel times. Um, and then things like just the, the just travel in general, uh, uh, Catelyn traveling and ending up at the Erie and Tyrion's travels and where he's been going and going to Essos and all of Danny's time spent in Essos and all of this shit. 
made the world seem a little bit bigger than it does right now, which is you can tell they're slicing this shit up and in efforts to get to the shit they want to get to in the time that they've been given or, or asked for to get it done. I don't know the details of that. I don't care. But I just want to, if I don't address this shit, I'm going to feel like a hack. So I'm addressing it. Yes, the travel times are a little fucked up. Now, let's talk about the story because I think that really matters. And, and I think that's what we have going on here today. So on a first watch, I, on a first watch, I felt a little, I felt a little bit of what I thought was a kind of fuckery. I think when we were sitting down to watch this episode, people were on the edge of their fucking seats because of the proposition of seven men traveling north of the wall to capture a white. That sounds like death written all over it. And in the older Game of Thrones, season five, that might have been the death of, say, three characters. And I think this is my personal problem. I don't want to speak for people who have problems with this episode. I want to speak for myself, and that's this. Do I care that Dragon showed up and fucked shit up? Nope, I don't care. I could see Danny, even without the fucking Raven, contemplating, I need to go to him. I, 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 it's too dangerous. I, I could see her without even a Raven making that decision, not needing to be prompted by a Raven to go. I could see her wrestling and thinking and imagining what's happening. We know there's a connection. She doesn't want John to die. She needs John. She likes John. She's conflicted. She has all these emotional things going on with her, which, by the way, makes her more interesting than the chick who gets low-angle shots on her as she burns the Tarleys, right? She's more interesting like this, in my opinion. I could see her just deciding to go fucking go out there without Gendry. So that's one thing. So I don't even care about that. I found the cold hand shit a little deus ex machina. Like, he just shows up at the right time and, and fights whites. Now, it looked badass when he waded into them with his flail in slow motion. It looked cool. It was like, fuck, he's there, yeah. John going under the water again and coming out again. I was like, Jesus Christ, how many people are going to fake drown this season? So that kind of bothered me. And we lost Thoros of Mir. And I'm like, you know what? We lost Thoros of Mir. I would have been not happy. I would have been wiping my Mir tears away if we lost, say, Thoros of Mir, Jorah, and Torment. Holy shit. Can you imagine losing those guys and feeling the weight of this insane mission? Instead, we lose a Thoros of Mir who nobody really cares about anyway. So... There's a, that's, that's the shit that bothers me more than the dragon, more than the fucking Raven speed, more than Gendry being a fucking triathlete. Like I, none of that shit bothers me as much as that bothers me. It just feels less deadly. Jessica, and I'm sure she's going to tell you this in a minute because I've been going on long enough, said to me, I just don't feel a lot of danger for the characters anymore. Fucking A, Jessica. I know how you feel. And that's a problem. And yes, we lost Viserion. And honestly, it was kind of heartbreaking. On a rewatch, it gave, it gave me goosebumps. But, um, but damn, man, that's the stuff going on. Outside of that, there's so much to like in this episode that I could discover on a rewatch. All of the dialogue between the men of North of the Wall was amazing. I liked Sansa in this episode. I, I liked that she's like, fuck this bitch. You should be kneeling to me, right? I'm glad she stood up for herself finally. I was happy with... Um, I was actually happy with the Danny John stuff. It's, it's nice to see Amelia Clark doing some acting outside of like being uh, just seeing some range in the woman is nice. I, I, I appreciated that. Um, so there is some stuff to like in this episode. Uh, we can talk about the combat. We'll get to that. I don't want to totally blow my entire load here, but I do want to just set the stage and say this episode was less good to me the first time and a little better to me the second time. 
But there's still some problems we're going to talk about, and there's still some good things we're going to talk about. And I hope that we can offer a tempered opinion here tonight. So, Jessica, I've talked long enough, probably for like 10 minutes. I think I need to go first from now on. No, this is awesome. It's not going to stop me from going on rants. So you may go, right? You know that. Give me your initial impressions. The rewatch, compared to your compared to your original viewing, some of your misgivings, and highlight that shit, and then we'll we'll see what we got here. Um, I like everyone else was really excited to watch this episode. I had a fantasy football draft beforehand, and I was like, I got to get out of here on time. I got to be home. I got to watch Game of Thrones live. I don't have time to hang out and and have drinks. I got to get to my show. All right, I'm in business. This episode began, and it, it's beautiful to look at. I mean, the cinematography and the the stuff north of the wall is fantastic. But I felt so underwhelmed at the end and so disappointed the first time I watched it. Um, it. It was very upsetting to me because I feel like now for two weeks in a row, I have felt like the show just has not felt like it's always felt to me. It feels like I'm watching a different show. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. I really had a like you said, I had a hard time with the fact that we go beyond the wall with all these important characters. And like you, you know, like I said at the time, like other people have said, in the Red Wedding, we killed everybody. And here we are north of the wall going against the most dangerous enemy there is. And every single person we know and love survives, except we kill Thoros of Mir, who no one gives a shit about, except maybe Beric Dondarrion. He's cool. I, I think he's a cool cat, but he's not. He's not making you cry. No, I could have. And he it was so. There's like, oh, oh, he's frozen to death. Let's set him on fire. Like they didn't even care. None of them were even sad. <laughs> and and we lost literally a gazillion red shirts. It was like watching. Again, it's mm-hmm. like when you watch a TV show and everybody goes into battle and everyone around your people dies, but your people don't die. And this right. is how I felt with Braun and everyone got on me like, Braun's a great fighter and everyone got all mad about it. But here we are episodes later and the same shit is happening. Right. Where again, everybody around our characters is dead, but our characters are magically fine. Sure. And that doesn't work for me. I'm not worried going into episodes. Like I want to go into an episode and be like, anybody could die at any time. And I don't feel that way anymore. I feel like I'm watching a show where you're like, well, I know this person will never die. I feel yep. like I'm watching The Walking Dead and it's like, well, Rick will never die. So I don't feel any anything nervous. Sure. And can, can I jump in on this for one second? I am very embarrassed to say this, but I'm going to admit this live on the air right now. And that's this. When I first watched this episode, I was so on the edge of my seat, so nervous, so ready that we go right north of the wall. We get right to it. These guys are talking. I'm like, this is great. I love this. And then I didn't even process that they had throwaway guys with them. And I was like, wait, who is this wi- random guy? Is this a wildling? Looks like the same guy got killed like seven I, times. I was so confused. I didn't realize they had extra guys in their party. I, I totally missed that. So that's why I liked it more the second time because I went, oh, these guys were with them and those are the guys that are dying. I was like, who the fuck are these guys dying? I, I totally missed that on the first watch. And on the second watch, I didn't mind as much, even though the fact that, of course, they all die instead of the heroes because... That's just the way TV goes sometimes. But I'm sorry. I just wanted to get that out because I totally forgot about that. Continue. It, it's just, you know, and again, I, I love Game of Thrones and I still love Game of Thrones. And this episode of television was still better than everything else that's on television. For sure. 
But there's such a difference between an episode like this and an episode from two seasons ago. And, and I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's just that we're getting to the end and we're expecting more. Or that's a good, that's we're a good expe- point. Expecting this certain thing that we're not getting. But like, I felt like so many things are so tropey. And it just, I, I hate the Sansa and Arya stuff. I, I literally hate it. I do not care. It is such a waste of time to me. It, it is a storyline where I feel like there's two characters who are acting ridiculous when there's plenty of other shit that they could be doing that would be interesting. I have a feeling that that has gone so far off the deep end in terms of how two people just fail to communicate whatsoever. Like they, they don't even try. It makes me wonder, is this supposed to highlight how fucked up Arya is now? Like, is that what we're supposed to believe that he, it's so off the deep end that we are literally supposed to be wondering about Arya's intent? Because after watching it, I don't think, I know there's a lot of talk like, oh, was, was that Arya pretending to be Sansa sending away? I don't think so. I think you actually need that person to be dead to take their face. So I don't, I'm, I think, I'm not 100% on that, but I think you need faces and the faces you have have to be from dead people. And uh, I know people are going to say, well, what about the serving girl phrase? Maybe, maybe she fucking swung by the morgue and snatched up a face. I don't know. Maybe that girl was, I, I have, I, maybe she was an innocent that I already killed. I don't know. But I think that's the way it works. I'm not 100% positive because they don't just expressly bullet out the rules for the faceless men. But that place where all those faces were hanging had me believe those were of dead people. And that's the only way we can get their face, which begs the question, was Jock and Hagar dead a long time ago? And that Because his face changed. Anyway, um, so yeah, I, it, do you think it's possible that they're trying to get you to... like? I feel like the audience is so split on Arya and Sansa. Should we just go right into Winterfell now? Since we're like in it? Sure, go for it. Well, we might as well at this point. <laughs> I think I'm pretty much done with my opening impressions. I forgot where I was going. Um, so Arya and Sansa. Is that where we want to start though? Yeah, absolutely. Since, since you're already yeah. in, into it. Um, so you, you keep talking about what you're talking about, but I'm like, let's just go into it now and yeah, move on. Yeah, that's from. totally fine. Okay, continue. I do you no, I'm asking you a question about it. Do you sure, go ahead. do you think that Arya do you find listeners split on who they like more? Do do I find listeners split? Yeah. I don't know. Are you split listeners? I feel like pretty much everybody actually I feel like people are Team Sansa now. You think so? I I because I'm trying to understand are they trying to make Arya seem because if you look at Twitter, like people are like cheering for Arya. Yeah, tell her what's what and put her in her place. And, and I'm like, I don't I just, I have such a weird read on this. It's just so, it's such an odd thing. It's bad writing. Right. Yeah. And and I'm not. You're not wrong though. No. Listen, I have sisters. You know what they're (laughs) fucking great at? Not talking to each other and being angry at each other and hating the other person for something they didn't do. It, it, It literally happens all the time where I will not talk to my sisters for like a month straight because I'm mad because I think one, my sister is it's doing something that she's not and, right. and vice versa. So that shit, guess what? It actually really happens. Mm-hmm. So everyone out there is like, no, why can't they just communicate and talk to each other? Trust me. Trust me. They're sisters. That's fine. But but there's something to this Arya coming back and seeming to have this death wish for Sansa that I, I don't understand. Like she's so over the top and, and it, it's it's insane. Yeah. To me, it, it's... It's like Arya's not even Arya anymore. And and I get it. She went to go be a faceless man, but then she didn't. And she's like, no, I'm Arya Stark. I'm going to go home. 
Mm-hmm. And it's like she came home. So why do we see this stupid scene where she sees the wolf and she's like, I've got to go home and be with my family. And then she goes home and she's a fucking wacko. Maybe this goes back to something we said a couple episodes ago, which was we were talking about that song, Mary by Boingo, right? Maybe the, maybe the idea is she yearns for this thing. Uh, she goes to empower herself and gets all this power and then realizes she's not this thing, but she still is, in fact, Arya Stark. And when she gets home, she realizes that maybe this just isn't the home for her anymore. Maybe she's always going to be apart from it because of the atrocity that she's participated in and witnessed. Maybe she just never felt like she was really at home in Winterfell in a sense. And, and she's a, she's a, she's a man without a country, right? Maybe that's how she feels. Maybe she just can't, maybe coming home and, and it being Sansa there and her having this rivalry with Sansa and like, She's like, fuck, it's not here. I, we're standing up on this balcony. Dad used to watch me shoot arrows. He was proud of me. He clapped and dad's gone. He's dead. You're here. John's gone. Is it, is it that? Is it, is it just that she's so fucking damaged from her experience, the house of black and white, that maybe she's more no one than she, than she thought? Is that possible? Then I don't understand how she ended up back in Winterfell. If she was more no one than she thought, then why didn't she go kill Cersei Lannister? Because maybe when she, I'm, 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 I'm just playing devil's advocate. It's trust me, it's still slipshod writing, in my opinion. But my, but I'm trying to rationalize it somehow. I'm trying to throw the fucking bone to the writers and say, is it possible that she thought that until she got home and then realized, damn, this is a lot different. And then she became a completely different person than the person she was when she was on the road. Yeah, I'm not disagreeing with you. I'm just saying... Maybe that's what the writers were thinking, but it still doesn't make sense. It's not being executed right. Correct. You you can't be one human being and then get to your home and then suddenly you're a different human being. Like, it, it, it just... No, no, but you can be affected by your travels. I just, I, you know, your point about sisters go for a month because they get mad at each other and they don't communicate. Although that's true, and I've witnessed that, I also think that after this schism between these two women, that when they get home, you'd think they'd just sit down and talk about something instead of not going right into this weird, like I said before, cloak and dagger fuckery. It's just, it's just so bizarro to me. Because this like tension was there before Littlefinger planted this stupid scroll. It was like almost immediate. Sure, it was. There's and, a couple of weak hugs. <laughs> and I, I just, it, I don't understand what we're trying to do here other than to, I, I don't know. But, but yeah, so this whole conversation, they have this nice conversation about, you know, Arya learning how to shoot, yep. which she turns into like basically saying that Sansa killed Ned. Yeah. So that's fantastic. Right. That's, sure that's, that's a great impli- thing to say. The implication was, is that, you know, this is, what bothers me is Arya is like, has the monopoly on pain. Like, you don't think Sansa went through something? They, they both do. But right. they, they, this is a sister thing too, because I took this in my note. Like, my suffering was worse. No, mine was. You'd never survive what I did. <laughs> I have this conversation again with my sisters every other day. I'm like, I worked a lot of hours. And my sister's like, well, I also have a baby. And I'm like, well, I have dogs and cats. And then we don't talk for a month. Like, that. that's that's so typical of, sure. like, again. But... It, it's so far beyond that where we have Arya essentially blaming Sansa for the downfall of the entire Stark family. Mm-hmm. That's what she's doing. Mm-hmm. She's literally blaming Sansa for that. And again, as everyone keeps pointing out, Arya sat around and hung out with Tywin Lannister while he was probably writing letters about making the Red Wedding happen. Mm-hmm. And, and she seems fine with that. Yeah, yeah. You know? Didn't take her shot at the head of the enemy of her house, the house enemy when she had one, possibly. 
Although she was a much different kid back then, a terrified little kid. (laughs) Go ahead. And the chat, Mega Gear Max says, where's Brandroid when you need him? And I'd like to comment on this because why doesn't he just say like, hey, bitches, get it together. (laughs) Sansa didn't get the Stark family killed and Ari did a bunch of crazy shit, but everything's going to be okay. Brings him in, gives him a little pop talk. Yeah, I mean, this... Is, are we looking at what's what's been Arya's motivation since the episode since since Baylor? That's the ninth episode of the first season, right? What's been her motivation since then? To get to her fucking family, vengeance, her list, all these people she wants to kill, always saying the lists of their of the name of her enemies at night, always doing that, right? So as those enemies start to go away. Arya, in classic vengeance pitfall fashion, doesn't feel any better. She murdered all the phrase. She's yet to smile about a victory. If she kills Cersei or whoever the fuck else is on her list or, or, or all her enemies are dead, she's still going to feel shitty. And I wonder if she's starting to realize this. Like, is this just, I'm going to have this hole in the middle of me that I've been trying to fill with blood and I just can't feel good like she's just going to be miserable so she's taking it on people around her i don't know but it's that's not it because she's like i'm gonna run out of people to kill i guess i'll just add more people to my list essentially right so that's what i'm saying that's in a sense you're sort of making my point which is i'll just continue to go out on vengeance because i have nothing else fueling me there's nothing there for me in life like being home in winterfell doesn't really seem to matter to her it's still about you know punishment and blame and i don't know she's sadistic it's fucking sad. Yeah, this is not an Arya Stark that I'm interested in. And Arya for a long time was one of the best characters on the show. And like there is a turn with her character that just doesn't work for me. And A lot of people are predicting she'll reconcile with Sansa and they will be the end of Littlefinger. That'd be fantastic if that happens. But mm-hmm. I mean, how much of this dumb crap do I have to watch? And, and like, listen, Arya makes points that are valid, like, but also doesn't think about anything from Sansa's perspective. No. Which is, you know... This whole thing about Sansa had to do with Cersei wanted because she was a kid and Arya's point about Lyanna Mormont, like, is she going to understand? Mm-hmm. And Sansa knows that that's true, but but there's such a difference mm-hmm. between circumstances and scenarios and who they are as people. And, and I'm sorry, like, I, I, I understand Sansa, you know was a dumb kid and did dumb things and but i also understand that that makes Arya mad but not to the point where like there are threats i think they're they have both threatened the death of the other one in this episode and i think that that's insane i also think it's i to your point if lady mormont was in sansa's position there would be no starks left she'd be dead right if if we're going to assume what Arya says and she's going to be courageous and and not fold and not do this and fight back and rebel. The Lannisters would have killed her. Yeah. And she'd be dead. Yeah. The only reason there's a Stark in Winterfell, well, there's a few reasons, but chief among them being because there is literally a Stark in Winterfell because she survived. And yes, Arya's back. I get that. But if if Sansa's not there, there's Boltons in Winterfell. Sansa comes home and says, oh, there's a Bolton flag hanging at Winterfell. Guess I'm going to kill Cersei. You know what I mean? In Arya says? Yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> yes, that would be silly. But, um, and that's and that's what it is. You know, Sansa has a point. She said, what would you do? Would you come running to the rescue? Would you fight off the Lannisters and save father? And you can see this getting to Arya. She's like, I wanted to, but 
but you didn't just like me. And that's when Arya goes into all this betrayal talk. I didn't betray Rob and our entire family for your beloved Joffrey. I mean, this is, this is the shit. And this is the, this piece of dialogue I like. You should be on your knees thanking me. We're staying in Winterfell again because of me. You didn't win it back. John didn't win it back. He lost the battle of the bastards. It, I didn't realize they referred to it as that. Yeah. The Knights of the Vale won the battle and they rode north for me. Well, you were what? Traveling the world. I was training. She's flustering, are you here? Training while you were training, I suffered things you couldn't imagine. I can imagine quite a lot because Arya's a weirdo. Yeah, and because they both have to think that what they went through was one the most painful. Of course, one-upsmanship. I get it. But um, yeah, I guess we'll never know. So this is when Sansa just flat out says, What's, what are you going to do? What are you going to do with the letter? And that's when she says, well, what do you care? You didn't commit any crimes, baiting her. Arya even admits, okay, here's the best part. Arya flat out admits, John will understand. You were just a child. John will understand. But what about those Northern Lords? Yeah, and that's what she brings up, Leanna Mormont. Correct. But I don't know. Um, you know, fear leads to people doing unfortunate things, fear and anger. Arya says, well, I'll stick with anger. And off she turns. And I have to say that, like, again, this has been, this was brought up last week, and Scott Cruz says it in the chat again, that this is all a trap for Littlefinger. But, but that... They're having these arguments and this problem between them behind closed doors. Right. So right now it's not a trap for Littlefinger. I mean, they might turn it around and turn it into a trap for Littlefinger. But right now this is all legit. This is happening just between the two of them with nobody else around. There's no reason for them to fake it just for us, the audience. You know what yeah, I mean? It's not like they're doing it in the middle of the court and people are like, what the fuck? Exactly. Yeah. This is something they're doing behind closed doors. This is legitimate conversations they're having with each other. They're not faking it for anybody. Mm-hmm. Um, is it possible that Arya is pushing Sansa to test Littlefinger's loyalty because she knows he might go back to little, like, I know this is giving Arya a lot of credit for some deep level spy shit, but is Arya deliberately pushing Sansa to Littlefinger to get a feel for that and maybe no. spring a trap on Littlefinger? I know, I know I that Arya is not fond of Littlefinger. She mentioned the first thing she said when she saw him is why is he here? Mm -hmm. She doesn't like him. We know that much. Yeah. Um, did you want? Let's, Maybe. I don't yeah, know. It, it, I guess. I don't know. But let's talk Sansa and Littlefinger. Okay. So they're talking about the scroll. You're worried. Sansa expresses her concerns about the lords and their loyalty should the letter leak. Um, their shifting loyalty she brings up. Littlefinger mentions that some prefer her leadership. Again, Littlefinger planting these ideas in his head because he thinks he can still control Sansa, or at least he's probably confident he control her more than, or at least influence her more than Jon Snow. Sansa brushes him off as shifting loyalties. How far do you trust me? Trust men like that. And uh, that's when Littlefinger brings up Arya. So what do you think about this? Wait, what? Arya or? Littlefinger bringing up Arya. Or Brienne. Yeah, the Brienne stuff is what I'm talking about. I think that... <clears throat> I can't figure out what... The point is here, especially based on what Sansa does with the information. Mm, I have a thought, but it, it's it's almost like he's maybe he maybe he is planning the idea in her head, like, hey, if you want to hurt Arya or get rid of Arya, you have to get rid of Brienne first. But he says it to her in a way where that's not what it sounds like. He says it to her, like, well, Arya won't hurt you, sure, because Brienne is here. Brienne is sworn to protect both of you, mm -hmm. isn't she? And 
this might be his backhanded way of getting Sansa to think, well, if I need to get rid of Arya, I have to get rid of Brienne. hundred Which is why she in the next scene gets rid of Brienne. That's the I, only I thing totally I can think. I totally agree with you. And I can think that even though Littlefinger put it in a manner where he was like, well, Arya can't hurt you because Brienne is sworn to protect you. He knew that Sansa was going to think of it this other way. I agree. Which she 100% did. Yep. Because she is sending Brienne to King's Landing so that Brienne is not there to protect Arya. It's I, the only thing I that makes totally any agree. sense at all. Yep. I think that was actually a really good play by Littlefinger. Um, I know I criticized the sloppy play of the note, and I still stand by that. But this move to tell her this does two things. Number one, it keeps Brienne away from him. Yep, and no, he is not interested in that shit. He's not interested because Brienne is is an un, is an uncorruptible knight that will kill him if the order is given. He will be dead. And she hates Littlefinger. And she's died. Would love to kill him. She hates him. Right now, I think you're one hundred percent right. I think this is a bit of a ploy, a, a slick little gambit by Littlefinger, who proves she still has moves. And that was, I'm going to tell you this story. And then you're going to get rid of Brienne because you're thinking I might have to get rid of Arya because of her fucking odd behavior. I really think that's Littlefinger's play here. Mm -hmm. and, I, and I like that a lot. I think that's good shit. And what do we see in the next scene? Sansa dispatches Brienne to go to dispatches. Dispatches. She dispatches Brienne to go to King's Landing uh, in Sansa's place. Uh, Brienne's not down with this, is she? No, she does not want to leave Sansa with Littlefinger especially. Sansa's like, don't even worry about it. I just call her Sansa. I'm so mad at myself. Oh, my God. <laughs> gotcha. Um, and Brienne wants to leave Podrick because he's a skilled fighter now. Again, this is awful writing. When Brienne says, let me leave Podrick. He's a skilled fighter now. This is like Stephen King would literally vomit if he heard that line of dialogue <laughs> spoken. Like, it is the worst. <laughs> like, I know it's like one stupid throwaway line, but it like enrages me. Mm. Because no one would talk that way. Right. She's just like, let me leave Podrick. Sansa's been sitting there and seeing Podrick. She knows he's a skilled fighter now. Correct. You know what I mean? Correct. She yeah. knows everything that's going on in Winterfell. Anyways, I know I'm being nitpicky, but some things make me crazy and that did. It definitely wouldn't, wouldn't have got past the editing room floor with you in charge. Uh, no fucking way. None, none of this, this entire <laughs> plot line would be gone. <laughs> um, and this is a, kind of a crazy thing to do for her to be like, hey, you guys both go to King's Landing. That was what cemented my idea that this was a ploy by Littlefinger that worked. As soon as she said she didn't want Podrick to stay behind, there's no logical reason for Podrick not to stay behind unless she thinks things are going to get fucking weird here. Yep. In case things get weird here. Exactly. Right? She's going to try to do something to Arya. Sansa sits back and contemplates this for a minute. I like that shot of her sitting back, puts her finger on her lip, and really is like, hmm, did I do the right thing here? This is how she thinks she can protect herself. Yes. All right. Which is pretty intense. That means she's very confident that if push comes to shove, she can get rid of her. Which is silly. Yeah. Well, we'll see. So Sansa peeps on Arya and starts to go through her stuff. Finds some faces, a purse of faces. <laughs> this is literally the worst thing I've ever seen on Game of Thrones in, other than Dorne existing in okay. seven seasons of the show. Why don't you talk to me about that? It, it literally looked like a fucking joke. Are you kidding me? That you're going to show Sansa open a bag and pull out a fucking rubber like Bill Clinton mask as somebody we were in Halloween? <laughs> like this is... A bank robbery mask? This is... I, I can't. This is the worst thing. I, it was awful. This was awful. Well, I, we know they use faces. I did that look real or or like anything to you at all? Have you ever watched like when Arya is another person? Does it look like a rubber face mask on her regular face? No, but I think there has to be more to it. It looks ugly. 
How'd you think they looked on the wall in the House of Black and White? Not as ugly as they look coming out of that bag. Okay. What else about this, outside of the technical detail of the way the mask looks, what about the scene is so terrible? Well, all that's terrible, and that's my main problem I want to talk about right now. All right. Well, I don't think there's anything else to say about that except it looks shitty to you. Okay, it was awful. All right. Now let's get into the actual scene. Okay. Found what you're looking for? I have hundreds of men here loyal to me, Sansa says, because she's immediately thinking, uh-oh. So in trouble. Sansa is saying this. There's a legitimate fear Arya might try to take her life. Mm-hmm. Right? Yep. Which is pretty fucked up. It's pretty fucked up. And this is where she says in Bravos, while well, I was training to be a faceless man. That's where I got them. What does that mean? Well, back in Bravos, before I got my first face, there was a game I used to play, a game of faces. It's simple. I ask you a question about yourself, and you try to make lies sound like the truth. If you fool me, you win. If I catch a lie, you lose. Let's play. A bunch of people in the chat were like, Arya just sounds like the waif now. You were all correct. Yeah, no shit. This right? scene was like watching great point. the waif. Like, is this really not Arya? Are we going to get to the end there and be like, oh, surprise, it's not even Arya. No, there's no Like, way. no, I know. But like, that's how it feels sometimes. Like, like mm. she's this, we hated the waif more than anything. And now Arya is basically the waif at this point. Yeah, she's just antagonizing Sansa. It's, I mean, I, so in, in Arya's defense, Sansa goes into a room and goes through her shit, which is going to piss off anybody. Which Arya just went through a little thing as went through his shit. No, I get that. So. I'm not saying there's no, I, I'm not saying that there's uh that she's not, two wrongs don't make a right, is my point here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I think that that's going to make her feel like, what the fuck? But it, I don't know, man. I just can't put my finger on Arya. I can't put my finger on this weird, it, <laughs> I can only link it back to I feel pain and I want to inflict pain. I can't. I'm not saying, you listen to me for a minute. I'm not saying that's good writing. No. I'm just saying that's literally the only thing I can come up with. But that doesn't make, I can't watch this show and see Arya be the way she was in the episode where she saw Nymeria Mm -hmm. and then say this is the same person two episodes later. I can't. I'm not asking you to. There's no logical jump even, I feel pain, so I want to cause pain, mm-hmm. is not a logical enough jump for her to be a completely different person between two episodes. I agree, but it's better than zero explanation. It, I, I, if you, sure, if you want to make excuses for things that don't deserve <laughs> excuses, you go right ahead. Excuses is an interesting word, but go ahead. That, no, that's, that's what I have to say. Um, I, I wrote, I don't like this storyline. I don't care about it. I am now Team Sansa. Cool. Hashtag. Welcome to the team. Been here a while. I've been, I go back and forth with Sansa on the regular. How do you feel about John being king? Is there someone else you think should rule the North instead of him? I mean, what the fuck does Arya expect? Like, uh, is it, is it, is, is, is Sansa in the, is Sansa morally compromised because she thinks about what it would be like to rule Winterfell and that some of the Northern Lords like her and that Littlefinger likes her and the Knights of the Vale bailed John out? Is she such a terrible piece of shit because that appeals to her to feel that sense of power based on all of the fucking bullshit she's gone through in her life that she doesn't want to just shrink into her room and sit there and read books and knit and wait for John to marry her off? Is it is it so terrible that Sansa wants some agency in the fucking world? So what? Yes, I have thought about it. I've thought about maybe maybe it could be me someday. Who knows? Am I loyal to John? Yes. But should something happen to John, do I think I'm fit to rule in his stead? Yes, I do. Would I ever betray John? No, I wouldn't. I saved John. Go fuck yourself. Get out of my room, bitch. 
Like, come on. These people don't talk. They should be saying shit like this. You know what I mean? Like, it's just, maybe it's just Sansa's inability to express her, her insecurities to her sister. Maybe that's it. But I just feel like somebody should just be saying stuff like that. Just say, yes, it appeals to me. Yes, I've thought about it. Yes, maybe it could be me. But no, I'm not going to betray our family. I never have. I never would. I was a prisoner of the Lannisters, okay? And I didn't see you rushing the block to save father. So fucking stop moralizing with me, bitch. If John dies, I want to be in power. So what? That's not a bad thing. I'm a fucking Stark. We belong in Winterfell. Now get out of my room. Hello? Pick up the phone? Goodbye. That's what Sansa should be saying. And that's what I feel is in her fucking mind. I know that's confirmation bias, but I, I it just aggravates me that that this this line, this this bullshit dialogue is supposed to convince half the people that Arya's cool and half the people that Sansa's cool. And the reality is that Sansa's fine. Like, you know what I mean? I don't know. I think we spent more time talking about the scene than the writer spent like thinking about what they're going to write <laughs> at this that's point. savage. You're a savage. I appreciate that. All right. We both wanted to be other people when we were younger. You wanted to be a queen. I wanted to be a knight. To pick up a sword like father and go to battle. Neither of us got to be what the other one. Uh, the world doesn't just let little girls decide what they're going to be. With the faces I can choose, I can become someone else. Speak in the voice and live in their skin. I can even become you. Okay, weirdo. Um, and then Arya grabs the dagger, flips it, hands it uh, hilt first to her. I wonder if, what it would be like to wear those pretty dresses to be the Lady Winterfell. All I need to find out is your face. Gives her the dagger, walks out. Cool. Awesome. Well, moving on. Anything else to say, Arya? That's what I'd say. Because we're done with this bullshit. Are you going to fucking creep around and be a weirdo and say weird shit with your bag of faces? Or can we just be done with this shit? I'm done with it. Yeah. Yeah. That's maybe how I, maybe how I feel is how Sansa should feel. <laughs> All right, my friend. Where would you like to go to now? Well, let's just go to Dragonstone and go beyond the wall last. I like your style. Danny and Tyrion. There's barely nothing to say here. How you doing tonight, Jess? What do you mean? You're like, meh, meh. I went on too long. You got on my back. You all right? We're going to get through this episode and be friends? I don't know, because this time you interrupted me, so you're in a lot of trouble with Inter me. I interrupted you where? When I was doing my opening thoughts. Oh, and then you decided not to continue to go. That's your problem. So Dragonstone? Yes. Cool. Danny and Tyrion. Mm hmm Talk to me. Oh, wait, I'll do it since you said there's nothing to say. Um, <laughs> there's not that much to say. It's very short. It's two little scenes. So, but there's but there's some shit to talk about here. It's it's not like they're, it's not thought-provoking. So, you know what I like about you? You're not a hero, Danny tells Tyrion, which is pretty hardcore. Pretty kind of not nice to like, say. he's like, but, but, but Blackwater, <laughs> uh, I don't want you to be a hero. They do stupid things and then they die. Drogo, Jorah, Dario, even this Jon Snow. They all try to outdo each other. And, and, and uh, let me pause right here. Her thinking this and being concerned about Jon's safety is enough for me to believe that she might have gotten nervous and went to check on him at the fucking wall. But let's continue. Tyrion says, it's interesting that these heroes you name, they all fell in love with you. He's like, nah, Jon Snow don't love me. No, he don't. He's like, oh, yes, he does. He's staring at your ass, girl. Something like that. He's like, this ain't no military alliance. This is a dictatorial alliance. <laughs> boom, boom. Boom, boom. Uh, he's too little for me. Damn. She's Which is, again, she's hurting Tyrion so much. I thought she was talking about his dick. No, she's like just <clears throat> digging the knife into Tyrion. You're not a hero. Of Jon Snow's little, what do you think you you're are, You're not Tyrion? a hero when you're too little. 
Like he, he's super little if Jon Snow's too little. Half the size of him. Jesus. Twice as long laying down though. Real fresh. Well, as heroes go, he's quite little. Tyrion agrees. <laughs> and he is kind of small. He's short, fairly short. I would not I have chosen a card as my hand. So she starts backpedaling here. And uh, nobody trusts my sister less than I do. If uh, if look, we go to the capital, we're going to go with the dragons, we're going to go with the armies, and if it touches you, we burn King's Landing. Simple. So that's a good insurance policy, I think. They discuss how Cersei's likely laying a trap. And then he's like, well, what's our trap? And Tyrion says, listen, again, if you want to be different, if you want a new and better world, we cannot build it on murder and deceit. And uh, he's like, well, we've never, wars aren't won without these things. Uh, yes, you will need to be ruthless to win the Iron Throne. Tyrion warns Danny that if you need more than fear, it's brittle. And he recalls all the previous rulers who used fear, and that hold over the people was quite brittle. Uh, and that's when Danny says, Well, what about Aegon? And Tyrion says, Yes, but he built the wheel that you're trying to break. Okay. Mm-hmm. I like this dynamic. I like that. I like that with Danny. We're seeing her start off. When she started off, Things are going to be different. I'm going to be the breaker of chains. They're going to call me Misa. Um, it, it's going to be totally different. We're going to do this justly. I'm going to hear people's concerns for fucking three days. They're going to line up outside the throne room in Marine. We're, we're, this is going to be a new a new way we do things. And then she gets to Westeros, and things are different, and she has to slow down, and she realizes that her benevolence in Essos needs to be mirrored in Westeros. They're people too. You can't just slaughter all these people. But she can. And I think that's an interesting dynamic. To have the ability to just lay waste with your armies and your three dragons, but have to not lay waste. You have to exercise some level of patience. And look, I give Danny a ton of shit, but the reality is, is if the reality is if Cersei had this power, Westeros would be on fire. She would not have the patience or the temperance that Danny has here. That is true. And she would burn way more than just the Tarleys. Right. She burned all those people. Yes. And it and it and it begs the question of it's cool to watch Danny struggle with this. And it's nice to see Tyrion, although not a great strategic commander, somebody who is almost like a moral compass for Danny to keep coming back to it. And I know there's been jokes about the Mad King and all this shit. She's she's not. She's not the Mad King, okay? I know it's fun to tease her and say she is, but she's not. She's nothing like Ares. And uh it's it's nice to see how she's like, but we could just, uh, and I can't like that frustration of having the ability, but having to, but really having to indulge in temperance makes for an interesting dynamic to me. Um, because she still has to keep doing that. If you want to, Aegon built a wheel with all the stuff that you hold so dear, my lady, you want to break the wheel, then you need to be different. And that's awesome. And that's when the Jamie stuff comes up. And, and, and Danny gets a little squirrely here. Jamie made a promise to keep a grip on the Lannister forces. Danny's like, I don't really care what he promised you. He's a fucking Lannister. Fair. Fair point. It is fair. Fair point. And that's when Jerry says, Well, this will be a difficult negotiation. I like this. I like I like the way this scene shot. I like the way it's almost like a movie. Like, this is gonna be a difficult operation. Like, he's like, this will be a difficult negotiation. He hops down off his seat. We're sitting down with people who want to see us headless. My sister's likely to say something provocative, and she will, 100%. Oh, yeah. And you have been known to lose your temper, as all great leaders do. Tarly's come up. That was necessary. Back and forth, they go on this. But his point here is that I know Cersei. Cersei is a master manipulator. 
and she will certainly manipulate you to your ruin if you let her. If she provokes you, don't take the fucking bait. Be smart. Take the high road. Because if she provokes you in a way that she wants to provoke you, she's going to win. Cersei is a master at this stuff. Say what you want about her. She's had to sit on the small council. She's had to deal with kings and queens and Tyrone Lannister and all these fucking people. If she knows how to push buttons and, and turn and manipulate people, and this is where Danny has to be careful in having an audience with Cersei, and I really like this. Um, I like that he's warning her. I like, I, I just think this was good shit. This was a, this was a high point for me in this episode. Yeah, I, I like the stuff between Tyrion and Danny. I, I do. I feel like these are things about Danny and about what she's going to do going forward and about her thoughts on things that we need to have this exposition in a way where it doesn't seem like it's a bunch of exposition. Sure. And I think that they having these two converse is a good way to do it. I totally agree. And I also think that if we, if we are to be, if, if I, I don't want to speak for you, if I'm to be consistent in my criticism of Arya and Sansa and their lack of, of dialogue, then I would have to be if we didn't see this dialogue here, which is, are they going to talk about the Tarleys? Are they going to talk about executing the Lords? Uh, is this even going to come up? It should. Mm -hmm. If Tyrion's doing his fucking job, which he should be talking, and that's exactly what we see here. And I, and I appreciate that he still, despite his loyalty to her, he still pushed the issue. They should have been popped in a cell to think about it because in the heat of the moment, they were being defiant. They mm -hmm. just got their ass kicked. They got they, All their friends got murdered. They're going to be defiant in that moment, maybe. You know, you, you, and that's cool. And he says, you need to take your enemy's side if you want to see things the way they do and respond and anticipate and know how to and understand where they're coming from. I mean, this is great advice. This is understanding your enemy is very important to be able to predict their patterns, to wonder what's going to be their next move. Can this be trusted or not trusted? If you, if you don't have that, you're at a supreme disadvantage because Cersei's for sure doing this. She's been coached just like Tyrion's been coached, just like Jamie's been coached in how to approach these affairs. She's, she's experienced this her whole life as a Lannister. I just think this is good shit out of Tyrion. Very, yeah. very good advice. Uh, very sound advice. And uh, I think if you're not looking carefully, it kind of goes right under the rug because there's so much spectacle in this episode. Mm -hmm. S uh, so secession, succession, not secession, succession comes up. Yeah, maybe not the best time to have this conversation you think overall. So? Yeah. You know what I think is interesting about this? I feel like this conversation mirrors Danny's concern for heroes. It's almost like he's playing the logic back to her. These, these heroes go off and they get themselves killed trying to outdo each other, which is precisely what Danny's about to go do. That's true. She's heroic and Tyrion knows it and he's spinning this advice right back to her by saying, listen, do you understand? It's not about your youth. It's not about your health. It's about catching a stray arrow. And literally, this, this whole operation, this whole conquest descends into madness. People scatter. People go, who do we go to? Will Cersei take us back? Are, are we going to get executed? Where, where do we go? It is. It's a legitimate thing that they need to think about and that needs to be, you know, dealt with. But I, I feel like it's it's going to immediately make Danny standoffish. I agree. And especially in this circumstance where she's like, I don't even have the power yet. It's true. And, and she doesn't want to talk about this thing because of the fact that, you know, She's not in power yet. Yeah. 
Yeah, I think it's also a reality check for Danny to realize that death is a possibility. And maybe it's even a maybe it's even a bit meta for the audience to go, holy shit, I never even thought of this possibility. Could she die? It's possible they're putting doubt, but you're right. Danny has legitimate concerns here. I could see her being standoffish, a young, strong, and powerful woman with two massive armies and three fucking huge dragons to contemplate her morality for a minute and for Tyrion to bring it up might have her going, Jesus Christ, is he losing confidence here? I mean, her main advisor is telling her this. That's, fuck. You know, that's that that might have scared her. I, I think that, I, I don't, I think it made her angry, but I think probably the death of her dragon is going to make her start to rethink. I think you're that, right about that. I, I think that her going north of the wall and what she experienced out there and the things she said that you had to see it to understand. Yeah. And that the loss of her dragon, who was the only one of the only, all she'll ever have for children are these dragons. Mm -hmm. um, I think that's going to make her go back to this question that Tyrion has asked her now and actually think about it. Do we know for certain that she can not have kids because she had one stillborn kid from? No, I don't think that that's that savage. No, but that I I feel like that. No, 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 no. When she ate the heart, did all this shit to try to save Khal Drogo. I feel like at that time she was told that she could not have children, like that. That was her decision she had to make. Gotcha. I I I might be wrong. That's not. I mean, it's it's a long time ago. All right, so if we die, we're all lost. Uh, she told me to do nothing before. I was new. I'm not doing nothing again, Danny says, and she takes off. Yeah. That's, Tyrion was probably like, this bitch is going to go after him. We should be careful. Because remember, she's gotten the, the, the letter by now. We think. We think. You think that she just decided to go. No, no, I'm saying it wouldn't have been a terrible episode if they never ran back to do it. That she's on her own. Yeah. Yeah. I don't mind the warning. I think it, I think it, you know, I, I know on the Facebook post I said the Raven showing up kind of eliminates the idea of Deus Ex Machina, which, which by the way, people throw that around a lot. Deus Ex Machina in storytelling is literally an unknown person or somebody totally out of the blue coming to rescue you against all odds. Like, i.e., kind of Benjamin, but not Danny. Danny knows where he's going. She knows he's in trouble. She gets a Raven. That's not Deus Ex Machina. That's that makes sense. Something like Benjamin kind of riding out of nowhere is a little bit more of a Deus Ex Machina. But I mean, we. But he's been there. He's I mean, been beyond the wall. That's where he is. I know. I hear you. But Took then a it, sweet time getting there to help everybody. That's that's the question. Maybe he is north of the wall. Maybe he does know what's going on. Maybe he has a connection to John somehow. I don't know. Probably you know, not. All this happens. They always come and rescue you at the last possible second, which is exactly what Danny did with the dragons. It is, and it's exactly what Benjamin did. And it's just TV magic. <laughs> IRL, you'd all be dead. There you go. Damn. That's why we watch fantasy shows. All right. She takes off. She's going to go beyond the wall. She's going to go beyond the wall. All right. Let me cross this shit off. Let's go to the titular place here, beyond the wall. Shall we? We shall. Talk to me. Lay it on me. So, (laughs) all of our bros are just marching in the snow. Um... And I said this at the beginning and I will say it again. All this stuff, the cinematography, it looks fantastic. Yeah, it's awesome. And I even like when the snow is really bad and you have a hard time seeing. And I know like a lot of people complained about that because you're like, who's dead? Like who got attacked? And you don't know because it's hard to see. But I actually like that. It like it really built up the tension except all that got ever attacked was Thoris of Mir and red shirts. But um, yeah, Red shirts. 
But I was, yeah. And I swear to God, one of those wildlings was wearing red, at least in my brain, for sure. He was. Anyway, very pretty. Are they wildlings? Yeah, those are Tormund's people, I think. Okay, yeah, they look like it. It, it. it makes sense. It doesn't make sense for it to be anybody else, I feel like. It's true. Um, this, like, stuff that goes on in this episode, this character building stuff between all these men out there conversing with each other, um, I'd watch a whole episode of just that. It was great. I loved watching these people interact and the things that they had in common, the stuff that they they knew of each other, the problems that they had with each other. Um, it was really, really interesting to watch. And I know you can say like, okay, it's kind of silly. Now we're getting all our bounce backs. Like, oh, this character is getting to know each other and this and that and whatever. But it's not. It, it was fantastic. Like, I didn't feel like it was forced at all. Nope. I feel like these bros have never really hung out before. They're all going beyond the wall. What else are they going to do other than chat with each other and and about different things, even from the start of um, John and, and Gendry and about the weather. And Gendry's like, I've never seen snow. Like, that's it's cool. fantastic. Yeah, it's cool. And, and, and Tormund referring to Winterfell as the South. I know. Uh, <laughs> awesome. Tormund was fantastic in this episode. Walking, so was the Hound. Walking's always. good. Fighting's better. Fucking's best. Yeah, he's he, Tormund's fantastic. So many good quotes in this episode. There really were. There were there were some great, great conversation pieces. And what's interesting, what I really like um, in this like opening little bit between everybody is Tormund giving John this advice of Mance Raider. Awesome. He's a great king. We fought for him. He never bent the knee. But how many people died for his pride? Mm-hmm. And if you could have told me that one person would have had a conversation with John that was going to stick with him about bending the knee and maybe it being worth it. Tormund would have been the last person. And I think this shows in a character who's kind of a little bit of there for like, he's like this big fighter. He's kind of like the comic relief almost sure. at this point, which is funny because he was Didn't originally the guy like way. killing all his family mm-hmm. with Egret. Yeah. Um, but he ha- has kind of become like a comic relief-y type of character. And, and this is so much character growth. Again, the guy who was killing a, a whole village with Egret and the other wildlings. Um, who was, you know, Tormund's, you know, right-hand man who didn't want to bend the knee to John. Mm-hmm. Now having this conversation with him, I think shows so much of a, a a character arc and growth for this this person. I agree. It shows his his uh, his southern comforts, <laughs> right? It's, he's getting used to, ooh, this is the other side of the wall. It's kind of the shit here. <laughs> they got big t- giant night women, right? <laughs> they know what's going on. I don't want to open a fucking hut anymore. It, it's good, and it, it, it obviously stuck with John, and Tormund's opinion obviously matters a lot to John, and, and you know, John had a lot of respect for Mance Raider. Yep, very much so. Uh, Gendry has it out with Thoros and Beric about being sold. They sh- and this shit, man, th- this dialogue, strap me down to a bed, strip me naked, sounds good so far. The hound <laughs> breaks in. Again, he's fantastic. He's so good. He's consistently amazing. Um. This one here has been killed six times. You don't hear him whinging about it. I love the whinging. I've, is that a thing like that's must been be, said before? Must, must be some sort of, uh, I don't know if that's from the UK. I've never heard it before. I don't, I like whinging and I would like to use it sometime yeah. in my life. Yep. Stop like whinging about me interrupting you. <laughs> Does that work there? No. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead. Um, 
And I'll stop whinging about you interrupting me. Um, and no, and then the next little uh, character, a little bit, is is the the great conversation between John and Jorah. Awesome. Which was fucking fantastic. They talk about Jor. I can't think of a worse way for him to go. Obviously, the mutiny. I just watched that episode today, and uh, it was fucking brutal. Um, I like that even the talk about Ned and how Ned wanted to execute Jorah and they, they're both glad that Ned didn't catch him. Mm-hmm. Uh, and just the stuff with Longclaw, it, this is so in character to me for both of them. Yeah. How John has to be like, your father gave this to me. It's yours. It should be yours. And this is so in character for John, I feel like, to do this. Mm-hmm. And I feel like it's so in character for Jorah to be like, no, you should keep it. But there was still like that was still such a meaningful moment to him that John was willing to do that. Yeah. And, and And I just... Again, I feel like this this was right in character for both of them. And, and this is just a moment that really means something to Jorah, even though he doesn't take the sword. And it probably means something to John to be in this position where he can say, you know, he doesn't want to give the sword up. It means a lot to him. But he's still willing to do that because in his mind, he's like, it should be a Mormons. I like that J.R., although he says his son shamed him, he said he was he had the grace enough to leave the sword behind because he could have taken it and he didn't. Yeah. Cool. Like Sam definitely took that sword when he left the Tarly household. But don't worry, the Tarleys are all dead. So I brought shame to my house. I broke my father's heart. Oh God, I love. Does Jorah not look fantastic out in the snow? Those icy blue eyes. Oh my God, he is so handsome. I just love him. I forfeited the right to claim the sword. It's yours. May it serve you well and your children after you. Ooh, the ones you have with the Khaleesi. This line is not to be trampled which one not the line but i've watched this episode two or three times today and i watched it originally i've seen it about four times and i've paid very close attention to it in an attempt to appreciate the finer moments of this episode instead of descending into calling it a giant piece of shit and there's that's why i said there's plenty to like here in this moment very much especially and that's if you watch john's reaction to if you watch John's reaction to what Jorah says here, it gives John pause, much like he's not really considered this reality. He's always been a bastard uh, and gone north of the wall and been the Lord Commander and had to do all this shit and got stabbed and betrayed. And it's never really occurred to him that a family might be in order. Mm-hmm. And Jorah says it, two things. The way Jorah says it means... I see the way you guys look at each other, and I'm cool with it. I totally believe that. About Danny? Yes. I think Jorah's doing that right here, and I think it just shows his fucking grace in class. I think Jorah sees the way they look at each other. We, we've seen him look at them. We've seen yep. it very distinctly on camera. And for him to say that to him, for them to have this conversation, for him to like this kid in John, and to say, and your family. I mean, he's... Mm-hmm. And he lingers on that for a minute. Why? It's because he's seen this guy. He knows Danny. He knows her very well. He knows John. He knows they're together. He knows what's going to happen. And I, or, or he's hopeful for what's going to happen. And I think that shows something. So it's really cool from the angle of Jorah almost saying, go with God, I give you my blessing. It's cool. Not that he thinks John needs it because he doesn't. And I'm not saying that Jorah thinks that John needs it. I just think Jorah's offering it because he's being graceful and honorable and and almost saying to himself, this is good for her. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And then on the flip side, it's John realizing, I haven't even thought of a family. Holy shit. 
Could there be something after and this? And now he's thinking about it. In this moment, he pauses very distinctly and he's really considering this possibility. And I think this is awesome. This is the kind of shit in this episode that is is is, is really hard to... Uh, it's easy to miss if you're not really thinking about it because you're distracted by the spectacle. And this is good shit from these two men. Liked it a lot. Me too. Big sigh by John. Later, Torment's talking to the Hound about his girl. Literally the best scene of my life. This, I'm sorry. I, I, I wrote this down verbatim because it's too good. I, I laughed and I also thought Torment is fucking fantastic. Yeah. Oh, you know, before I go on to this, I want to, I want to hearken back to something uh, a mutual friend of ours and a host, uh, an, an occasional host on the Science Fiction Film Podcast, and that's Josh. And this stuff, this John considering what he has to do, reminds me of a conversation I had with Josh once. Uh, Josh, somebody who spent some time in the Marine Corps over in Afghanistan, and he was saying, you know, when you're over there and you're doing stuff, he says, yeah, you, you're getting into some weird situations, but the reality is when you're over there, you can kind of hide from the, the 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 normal responsibilities of life, like thinking of starting a family or thinking of missing a birthday or thinking of missing an anniversary because you're so hell-bent on this one thing that you have to accomplish while you're there. And this is what we're seeing reflected almost in John. He's been trying to survive, trying to lead, trying to convince people of this. He's been working, 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 that he's never really stopped to consider life outside of victory. And it's cool to see this. And I just like the parallel to somebody who's off in the military who doesn't have to think about that shit because of the shit they're thinking about in that moment. And look, I understand people in the military have families. They go away, blah, blah, blah. But I'm just saying, as it relates to John in this scene, I really like this a lot. So let's talk about the greatest dialogue ever. Yeah, let's do it. Uh, there's a couple of great dialogue moments. Barrick and John is amazing. Yeah, I agree. All right. So Tormund talks to the hound. You're the one they call the dog. Fuck off. He just tells him to fuck off. They told me you were mean. Were you born mean or did you just hate or you just hate wildlings? I don't give a two shits about wildlings. It's gingers I hate. Gingers are beautiful. Kissed by fire, just like you. Don't point your fucking finger at me. Did you trip into the fire when you were a baby? I didn't trip. I was pushed. And ever since you've been mean, will you fuck off? <laughs> so good. I don't think you're truly mean. You have sad eyes. Which, by the way, is such a... Such a good catch by Torment. This Torin. is so true in this, again. Like, how is the guy who, like, murdered an entire village? Mm -hmm. He's so fantastic. And yep. he, he he's correct about the Hound, I think. Very right. much so. This, this dialogue is why Torment survived this episode. Actually, I thought this dialogue would have been made it into a perfect swan song for Torment. No, I, I know. I think they were... And don't get me wrong. Torment is one of my boyfriends we don't and want him favorite to die, characters. But... I don't want him to die, but it certainly would have had a lot of impact if he did. Big and time. I think it's a little chintzy that he didn't based on the scenario and the situation he was in. But yeah. we'll get there. Do you want to suck my dick? Is that it? Dick question mark? I, I <laughs> that actually is something that people have been talking about online because they always say cock, but then Braun laughs at dick on. Yeah. Right? And you've but never really heard Dick used. It, it must be a regional, um, yeah, a slang. regional thing yeah. because the Hound in and in um, Braun would have the same. Yeah, they're from. Oh, Whereas, well, I don't remember where Braun's but, from. But even but. just being from down south, as sure. opposed to a wildling, you know, yep. being from north of the wall. Yep. Uh, cock, Dick. I like it. I bet you do. Nope, it's pussy for me. 
But I have a beauty waiting for me back at Winterfell. <laughs> this is the best thing of all time. Yellow hair, blue eyes, tallest woman we've ever seen, almost as tall as you. Brienne of Tarth, you know her. You're with Brienne of fucking Tarth. I'm not with her yet, but I see the way she looks at me. How does she look at you? Like she wants to carve you up and eat your liver. So you do know her. <laughs> I'm going to make babies or think of them. Great big monsters that would conquer the world. How did a mad fucker like you live this long? I'm good at killing. That shit is so good. I apologize that I fucking ran through the whole thing, but it's, it was, it's so awesome. It's so funny. I just love the reaction to him describing Bran of Tarth and the Hound being like, are you fucking kidding me? Um, and I love how Tormund is so into Brienne. It is like the sweetest thing in the world. Um, it's really, really adorable. Oh, so good. Um, and just his reaction when the Hound, uh, she wants to carve you up and eat your liver. And he's like, so you do know her. Yeah, it's so good. <laughs> Kissed it, by Fire, by the way. That's the episode where John got his dick wet. Kissed by Fire. That's the name of an episode? Egrit, right? Is that the name of the episode? I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure. I had him on today just playing in the background while I was doing shit, and I'm pretty sure that was the name of that one. Yeah, I, I think that Somebody this... Somebody in the chat can look that up. I think that this is a, a really funny, really cute conversation. I think I think we saw a lot of great moments from Tormund just in this this little thing. And Yeah, he's great. And and to again, I, I feel like, you know, I feel like this is a show that just kills people without warning. And like, okay, sorry. I feel like we could be looking back at this episode if if Tormund was dead and being like, of course, like, look at all the stuff that he did. Look at what he said mm -hmm. about bending the knee to John. Like, you don't think that Tormund dies and then John's like, oh my God, like what he said to me matters. Like, I can't have more people dying for, like, I, yeah, it would have made the, a lot of impact on the knee bend. Having yeah. seen what happens with Tormund, the fact that he doesn't die and then going back and rewatching it and seeing the conversations Tormund has and the things that he says, uh, I can't believe it. Did they like change their mind last minute? And they're like, yeah. oh, fuck, we do want them to make out with Brienne. Yeah. Like, is that, I, I don't know. And, and, and again, I don't want Tormund dead. I love him. Of course. But I feel like it was so cheap. I feel like mm. it cheapened the episode so much. It would have been intense to lose one, maybe another one. I, I was literally. I think Tormund would have, I think Tormund and Thoros dying would have had people been like, Yes, they get saved in the end, but boy, what a cost. Yeah, at what that, cost? That's what it is. Mm -hmm. What a cost. Obviously, Viserion dying, which we don't, we're not attached as a personality, but there is something tragically beautiful about that thing dying that's really soul wrenching. Uh, the second time I watched, I was like, that poor fucking beast. And it, it, we'll get there. We'll get there. I'm jumping the gun. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know. The, the great stuff from Tormund. Just, just great stuff from a character that I love. Yeah, good shit. And in, in Again, I'm already getting ahead to when Tormund almost dies, but let's talk about Beric and John because this is also probably a conversation. It's 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 as good as any of the other dialogue that happens mm -hmm. in this episode, in my opinion. John learns that Beric served Ned, who had him go hunting for the mountain. Very cool. Um, they discuss John being brought back. We both serve the same Lord, and John's like, "No, no, I serve the North." And in Beric retorts, "The North didn't raise you from the dead." They discuss how the Lord wants Sean alive, but Beric doesn't know why. Uh, what's the point in serving a God if we don't know what he wants? And Beric says the following. I ask myself that all the time. I don't, by the way, his voice is like purrs. He's got a great voice. Mm -hmm. I ask myself that all the time. I don't think it is our purpose to understand, except one thing. We are soldiers. We have to know what we are fighting for. I am not sitting for some, I'm not um, fighting for some man or woman to sit the Iron Throne made of or to sit the throne made of swords what are you fighting for life death is the enemy the first enemy and the last but we all die 
The enemy always wins, and we will need and we still need to fight him. That's all I know. You and I won't find much joy while we are here, but we can keep others alive. We can defend those who can't defend themselves. And John says the fucking night watch, the night's watch ship by saying, I and the shield that guards the realms of men. Maybe we don't need to understand more than that. Maybe that's enough. Aye, maybe that's enough, John agrees. Fucking awesome. That um, death is the enemy, the first enemy and the last, which um, in the previews for this episode they had, they played. Oh, cool. Um, I remember watching the preview and Beric saying that and thinking like, holy fucking shit, people are going to die. Yeah. Because um, this is true. And and again, it has more meaning if people we care about actually die. Mm-hmm. But agree. regardless, it's such a great quote. And He's I awesome. wrote, Beric is fairly heroic and I like him. He's amazing. I, 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 was I, like, I like him more and more. Me too. More and more, I like. Barrett. I feel like I didn't. I could have given a shit about him the first time I met him mm. when Thoros brought him back from the dead, and, and that's, that's because we wanted. Certainly, them. when Gendry they sold Gendry off and whatever the Brotherhood without banners, I was like, oh, not into him. Mm-hmm. But let me tell you, um, when he was hanging out with the Hound, I was like, this this bro's real cool. And in this episode, I'm like, oh my god, this heroic and amazing gentleman. How did I not know about him before? How is he not one of my boyfriends? Yeah. I just rewatched the scene uh, because I've had those episodes all sort of playing in season three here. Um, I watched I watched Rob cut off uh, Lord Karstark's head. I watched um, I watched uh, Tywin dropping the bomb on Tyrion that he's going to marry Sansa and and fucking Cersei being all cunty like, <laughs> and then Tywin going and you will marry Loras and she's like, but no, no, Dad, so fucking good. And then I was watching, and this was the cave scene where the hound kills Beric, and Arya's there, and they're like giving Arya this wisdom, and and she's like sad. She's like, "Can you bring a man back if his head's been cut off?" And they're like, "It doesn't work that way, child." And now Arya's uh, basically threatening <laughs> to kill Sansa. Fantastic. <laughs> cool. Sweet. But it was cool. It was cool to watch that scene again, where uh, where the hound fucking kills him, and he's resurrected for the sixth time. And now they're bros. Now they're bros. Um, I'm glad. Barian lived. Barian, uh, who's Barian? Yeah, Barak Dondarian. Barian. Oh my god! If you put him together, <laughs> he, he ship ship himself. I was gonna say if he's a couple with himself, Barian would be his name. <laughs> All right. So after that awesome shit with Barak, um, and I just like his. Ah, there's just something about him. He has a quiet confidence. He's so matter of fact, and he is special. Like the fucking flaming sword. He's a fucking special character. He's wild. Mm-hmm. So um, the hound spots the mountain like an arrowhead from his dream, not in fact his brother like I surmised. Damn. Don't worry. That'll be next week. Yeah. Ugh. Um, we get, we're getting close. The hound says, we cut away and come back, and there's a storm. Uh, one of the men, which on a second hearing is like, oh, these must be extra men they brought because I'm an idiot. Mm-hmm. One of the men is sort of scouting ahead, and then they spot a, bl- a bear. But it, no, this, uh, and uh, I know like it's a little crazy, the zombear, as I'm going to call him. Zombear. The zombie bear. Zombear. Zombear. Sorry. But let me tell you, when that fucking thing came out of snow out of nowhere and like grabbed that fucking guy, I like almost screamed. It, it like I, it, it literally made me jump out of my seat. Um, and, and there is something creepy about them looking out in the distance and you can see the shape of this animal and it's like, why does it have blue eyes? Although in all that snow... Being able to make out blue eyes. Well, the glowing, maybe. Impressive. I know. I'm just kidding. Now I'm being. You, are you? Are you? Are you denying Jorah's hawk-like eyesight? Jorah does no bears. Mm, he sure does. Um, 
That thing was so creepy. Holy fuck, in the you distance. just blew my mind. Why? George does know bears. And he kills the bear. He does. Yeah, he does. With a fucking dragonglass dagger on the skull. He's such a badass. All right. I fucking love him. Anyway. So Scar starts running back. It's taken down. The men rush forward. I love the circle. Um, yeah, every time they're all in a circle, which they did like three times in this episode, I still liked it every time. John gets smashed. Another, another nobody gets hit. Thoros saves the hound who freezes up in the fire, which costs Thoros his this, life. I love, I think that this is good writing. Yeah. The hound's reaction. He froze, And in yeah. the fact that Thoros saves him, that he has a, a relationship with this man and you know he wants to do something and he's too scared. He can't. Mm -hmm. it, and he just watches it happen. And, you know, you, you feel for the hound. Thank God Jorah was there. But, I mean, then they just were dragging dead weight on. Thoros being attacked by the bear looked fucking amazing. And the way he was screaming. Oh, oh shit. The second time I watched it, still, I was like, Ugh. It looked fucking amazing. Um, and he's fucked up, man. Obviously mortally wounded. Jorah delivers the fatal blow. Uh, and Jorah is immediately like, well, we need to get him back to Eastwatch. Which... Based on the fact that the way these people travel doesn't seem unreasonable. <laughs> sure. Somebody walk back with him. Put him on Gendry's him. back. He'll be there in 10 He'll minutes. He'll be there it's fine. literally in a half an hour. It's fine. Just send him back. But no, 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 no. <laughs> That's what I mean. You got to be consistent in your times. Like if you're going to say it's a quick hop, skip, and a jump, then you got to think maybe, I don't know, fuck it. I'm done with that. All right. Um, and Doris is like, no, just give me my flask. Like, I'm all right. I'm good. I like when he says, they're like, are you all right? And he says, I just got bit by a dead bear. Funny old life. <laughs> awesome. That was the best moment Thoros and me ever had, except when the how many fun was man bun. And that wasn't even him. Like, it wasn't a good moment because of him. It was a good moment because of the hound. Yeah. Thoros and Jorah talk. Jorah asks him about charging through the breach. How drunk were you? Thoros doesn't remember. He looks bad now. We Immediately, everybody Hell. watching this sees he's in bad shape. By the way, did they? Uh, why did they burn his wounds? Like his to chest, cauterize them. His chest wounds. Yeah. Okay. No, that's that's fine. Okay. That's that's like a medical thing. If you have a lot of bleeders, that'll stop the bleeding. You, you cauterize it. Okay. That that medically makes sense. That was the right thing. To I mean, do. I've heard. I've definitely heard of yeah. cauterizing wounds before, but that that was that was because then he's not going to bleed out as quickly because you're stopping like the blood vessels that are bleeding. All right. Like um. Yeah, I'm not going to get into medical terminology, but yeah, that, but, that's logical. Cool. All right. Um, and then they are, uh, Thoros doesn't remember. Some lads later told me about it. It was a proper scrap. The iron bone thought you were some kind of god, Jorah says. I thought you were the bravest man I ever saw. Just the drunkest, Thoros retorts. I love this. Yeah, this is again when you talk about like swan songs and like, you know, things for people before they die. This is also a great little conversation for Thoros to have about his most heroic moment. Mm. And he doesn't even want to make credit for it. And um, Thoros saying he thought Thoros was a god. Or the Ironborn Thor must Thoros. Have. The Ironborn Thor must have thought that he was a god and George just thought he was the bravest man he ever saw. Yeah. And then yep. this brings us into our confrontation. Sure. Uh, Tormund hears metal clanking. He and John peek over hill and see the dead. Marching single column. Single column? They're marching like in a line. Single file is what I would have said. Okay. I just never, I like that. Single column. Makes me think of an Excel spreadsheet. Yeah. It's more like kind of shit you hear on the History Channel. The Romans marched in a single column around the... Yes. 
military bullshit. I don't know. I'm making it up. I think that you are. I think no, I'm just regurgitating something I heard on the on the on the fucking history. Channel. I think you heard that when you were using Excel, like right. single column. Cut down. So we cut and we go down to the White Walkers. Uh, we see a White Walker with a bunch of whites. I love the way this guy looks. By the way, this White Walker looks so badass. He's very cool looking. And they go over to a fire, which I'm assuming is some sort of decoy. Yeah, it's got to be. John manages to kill the White Walker and a bunch of them collapse. So a scrap ensues. Uh, Jar's getting strangled. Uh, things are getting crazy. Yeah, I thought Jar was going to die and I was really scared. Tormund punches it and they all pile on it after the rest collapse. Yeah, I have a problem with this. Go for it. Here's my problem. So John kills the White Walker and basically all the Whites drop dead, except conveniently one. Did that not bother anybody? Like that bothered me a it's lot. A silly. I don't like. There I don't like been a the oh convenient. There should have been a couple or, or that nothing, or they should have all been dead. Like you, you can't have it both ways. You can't be like, why do they all die? And John be like, well, I guess if I kill the White Walker, then all the ones I think that Jorah he, says that, but or Jorah says, why did they all die or whatever? And John says, I guess if I kill the White Walker, then whoever he turned dies too. So it's like, oh, just magically there were a bunch of bros that he turned and just one bro that he didn't turn it's, because it's, you guys needed one bro. It's contrived. I don't sure. like I don't like it. I like it better if he kills one and like three collapse and like, holy shit, and then the rest of them gang up on the rest of them and they still manage to take one hostage. It's yeah. just that sloppy to me. That's what I mean. It's a little, sl- a little slip slop. I slip, don't slop. like it. I roll eye roll. A little slip sloppy. By the way, when that white like screeches, does the Ooh, screeching to call man. to his white friends, <laughs> that is scary <laughs> as fuck. That's what I do when I call to my white friends. <laughs> <laughs> That's W H I T E friends. <laughs> I go you just screech like that, and a bunch of white people come out of the woods <laughs> <laughs> with fucking shotguns and fucking overalls on. Um, That's badass. I wish that was real. No. Anyways, what I was trying to say was that that was terrifying, but now oh, you're shit. terrifying, so. That's fucking amazing. Anyways, they're in trouble. I love that John and them start to hear thunder. It's, you hear cracking. It sounds like cracking. It's so fucking cool. And that shit's telling you that the man's coming, old NK. The old NK's coming. He's trouble. Me is trouble for sure. So John shoots a look back at the troops like, all right, we got to go. Um, we he, better send Gendry back to Eastwatch. He'll get there in an hour. Yeah, whatever. We've been walking for a day. We've been walking enough time for Thoros to basically for it to be light and then dark and then light again. Are you sure about that? It was dark when they saw the bear. No, it could have just been whiteout conditions. Mm, Come on, right. you, live, you live in Massachusetts. You know how that works. I, think I do. They, oh god. To be honest with you, I think they only ever show one nightfall, which is part of the problem. They should have shown. They should have shown a couple. That's all. All right. Right. Yeah. He tells him you're the fastest, and I know a lot of people made fun of this. Like, how does he know? He doesn't. He just is telling the kid to go because he wants to keep him safe, and he probably he knows he's younger than the rest of these fucking clowns. Younger than the rest of them, and, and he can't doesn't fight know. as well. He exactly. Doesn't know. He doesn't know. He doesn't know anything about Gendry's fighting ability. This is a guy who he literally just met. Has never heard of. He's the youngest of all of them, other than John. Could have sent a red shirt, but whatever. It, yeah, he could have sent a red shirt, but we don't care about that. We needed the red shirt to die, so none of our friends had to die. Yep, it's fair. It's fair. 
Uh, yeah, I don't Charlie care that you picked Gendry. You're fastest without this amazing hammer. Thanks, bitch. Which again, <laughs> so, so this awesome. bothers me. So I'm watching the episode. I'm like, this is so stupid. They're sending him back without a weapon. This is crazy. What if he runs into something and he can't protect himself? And I feel like at the time you were like, no, because he's going the opposite way. I'm like, yeah, but they just saw a zombie bear out there. He might have a blade on him, but he doesn't need that massive hammer. I understand, but I just, there. I don't know. Like that bothered me. I was, I was certain he that. was going to run into something on the way back. No. And that was also convenient. Again. No. No. He's fine. That No, I thought that that was also very convenient that on his whole run back, he doesn't see anything. There you go. Which makes you go, okay, is this as far as we think it is or is it closer? What's the deal? No, it makes me go, how come he didn't run into anything undead? They didn't run anything up until that point either. They ran to the bear. Just the bear, though. And then they kept walking for a ways after that. Okay, so maybe there was nothing between on the way back. I all mean, right, it's, not well. that Im- it's not that implausible that they encountered one bear all the way there and he didn't encounter anything all the way back. That's not crazy. All right, I think it's a little convenient, but that's fine. I don't know about that. All right. Agree to disagree. <laughs> they all start running out onto the ice. Um, it cracks. It's super tense. They stop, and then they're like, we, we got to go. And they make it out to this, like, rock island, I guess. Yeah, it's like an island in the middle of the water. And the, and the ice starts to cave in as they approach. And this makes for some really pretty cinematography here, which is all of the whites standing in a circle around them on the threshold of the broken lake. I thought that looked cool. Um, they're all standing alone in the cold. They wait. We finally get nighttime. Yeah, and I just want to point out a couple things in this scene. Um, one, the reason why the whites even break through the ice is the death of another red shirt. Right. Their chasing guy was a little slower, and when they all jump on him, that's the point where the ice cracks. Not even our friends, a red shirt, just saying. Yep. Um, I roll, I wrote. Gendry gets back. They have to send the raven, and we come back to... Right? Yeah. Then we come right back to those guys at night. By the way, the shot of all the glowing eyes. Pretty creepy. Pretty awesome. The fucking glowing eyes looked really cool. But um, yeah, so they're stuck. They can't get out of them. Everyone is real fucking cold, I wrote. They should be. It's bad news. And then the next morning, the men wake up. Their captured white is screechy. Like, screechy McStreech, this guy. He's so annoying. And the hound is real pissed off. Yes, he, he kicks him. <laughs> He probably screeched all fucking night. I like that when the hound kicks him, all the other whites get mad. They're just <laughs> standing around the lake. Like, they're like, hey, dude, can't wait until we kill you soon. <laughs> <laughs> and this is when Thoros unceremoniously has died in the night. Yes. I don't mind him dying like that in the night. No, it was just so weird. I don't know. I'm like, holy shit, he's dead. And then he was dead. I liked that. And I liked that the hound tried to be comforting and yeah. said, they say it's one of the better ways to go. And then he took the booze and bear prayed. Well, John snatches the booze from him. We have to burn his body. Mm-hmm. We'll all be close behind him unless the Lord of Light is kind enough to send us a bit of fire. The night is dark and full of terrors. Yeah. Uh, Beric lights up his sword. Lord of Light, come to us in our darkness. Uh, we'll offer you soon, Jorah says, and so will the water. I also missed that on the first viewing. Oh, I didn't. That was something that, because that's what I kept thinking. I'm like, this water is going to freeze over. Yeah. It's only a matter of time. Mm-hmm. It's only a matter of time. And I read all the shit on the internet about how long it takes for it to freeze yep. enough that they could walk across it. Well, I was like, that thing will be frozen in like an hour. Is what I thought in my brain, which shows you how much I know about science. Right. Like, this is stupid. That thing probably froze over immediately. What's wrong with these idiot whites? And then I read the science on the internet and felt dumb. Yeah. That's okay. 
They made a lot of assumptions as to what the temperature was to come up with the number that works for their argument. Do you see what I mean? Yeah, but I feel like my argument where the ice could have frozen enough for everybody to walk on it in like an hour was probably never possible. <laughs> so I have some thoughts here. The Night King's there, correct? Yeah, he's just chilling. He's chilling. All these whites have them surrounded. Yeah. The Do we think... I don't really want to get into ridiculous Night King brand connections, but can can because they're all over the internet. But can we for a second assume that did I feel like the Night King is incredibly powerful. Um, based on the fact that he threw a spear across a mile and killed a dragon, I agree. We know they're super strong. We know he can make white walkers. We know he can turn babies into whites. Or white walkers. I don't remember if he turned that baby into a white walker or white, but he just turned it into one of the two. It was do, still do a baby. We, I guess I guess we I guess he can't freeze water because he would have at hard home when he was standing on the shore and they were Correct. rowing away. So I guess he would have to wait. Cause there's a lot of speculation as to there's no angle, there's no area there's no spot in this whole lake that a couple whites can't skip through and get at these guys it's totally secure that island i know there's a lot of complaints about that um what are your thoughts on that i agree i think it's just as convenient as all the other convenient crap in this episode what do you think of this thought process this thought process those, this, those dudes can't swim well if it's too deep they'll just sink they don't have flesh. I mean, they're just bones in, in metal armor. Just <laughs> I'm sink. just picturing that one with the sword, the first one that walks across, just like trying to swim in the water. It's really funny. <laughs> His goofy little boots would fall off. He'd it's be stuck yeah. on the bottom. You know? It's really funny. But is it possible that... Here's the thought being floated around on the internet. Is it possible the Night King has a bit of an inkling that Danny and some dragons might show up and he wants himself a dragon and he's waiting. Is he clever enough to think that? I don't, how does he know what's happening south of the wall? Well, this goes into some ideas that he might have the green sight. You know, you know what I mean? Like he knows, he, he looks up at the ravens and knows and fucking scares them and freaks out Brand. He might have powers beyond what they're showing us. I know that's a super stretch, but it's been floated around out there. Something for you guys to think about. We're not going to get to the bottom yeah, of it this episode. Yeah, then we can talk about the eyeballs opening on the cane. I mean, on the sword. Yeah. The cane. Um, all right. All right. Somebody in the chat. Scott, Scott Cruz says, they have never rolled with ice spears before last night. They seem sure seem to be waiting for something. They could spear fished John's away team. It's true. They could have just, they could have launched spears at their team and killed them. Yeah. So there's a, there's a measure of patience here from the Night King that's suspicious and could be highlighting something deeper that the audience is unaware of at this point. Yeah. Because if that thing kills a dragon, it for sure is going to kill anyone else it hits. This is true. Yeah. So something to think about. Okay. So this goes into all the shit you were saying before. When you kill the White Walker, almost all of them fell. Why? Uh, Jorah suggests going for the White Walker. Says no. Um, poor Thoris is dead. Careful, Barak. You lost your priest. This is your last life. It's <laughs> so good. I've been waiting for him for a long time. Maybe the Lord brought me here to find him. Every Lord I've ever met has been a cunt. I don't see why the Lord of Light should be any different. Learn words to live by. And now some more time passes, and I wrote another day question mark. The hound tosses a rock at the dead, breaks his jaw. That was cool, by the way. I just love that the hound's bored. He's like, I'm just going to throw rocks at these fuckers. This, again, is in character to me, to the hound. I right. can imagine this being the hound is bored, annoyed, wants booze, and he's like, 
fuck this. Mm. Which is a big mistake because he is going to get the whites right at him real soon. Right. The one rock falls short, highlighting the lake is frozen. And uh, one starts to cross. I love the way they move. Just dragging the sword. That's fucking cool. That thing is so creepy. So cool. Looks real good. The good guys arm up. A melee breaks out. A great high shot of this melee. Um, nobody uh, nobody gets killed. John calls in order to fall back. Tormund gets smashed and swarmed. And this is where I go, holy shit. But no, the hound saves him. Yeah. Despite not liking gingers. Uh, we've talked about that to death. We don't need to go on. They kill many waves of bad guys. John fights off some baddies. Their last nobody gets killed. They're pushed to the brink. No place to go. Slow motion. And in swoops a dragon. On a rewatch, I got, got a little goosebumps. We did. We talked about how the other red shirt dies yep, too. I mentioned okay, it. Sorry. <clears throat> John is defeated. It was dope watching them get torched. So here's where I am a complicated man because I wasn't crazy about Jamie getting his ass kicked by a dragon, but I'm loving the Night King's people getting kicked out, kicked, getting their ass beat by a dragon because this must go back to this weird underdog thing I have. <laughs> like John and all his buddies are underdogs and then the dragon shows up and fixes shit. And the three of them there just ripping the way watching the snow pop like shoot up from the impact of the fire that was such a cool effect the literal song of ice and fire right there it was mm -hmm. so cool to watch um so they start to board this dragon if i would have said hey jessica next season you're gonna get tormund jorah john and a few others on this thing well john ain't gonna make it on the dragon because he's an idiot but yeah what's his deal this is the stupidest Where fucking thing. Where is John thing. going, I This wrote. is stupider than the face masks. <laughs> I'm not even kidding. This makes no sense. He's literally standing right there. Danny's like, hey, bro, take my hand. And he goes to do it. And then he's like, oh, shit. I'm going to kill a couple more guys just in case for no apparent reason. And then everybody's on the dragon. And John's like, I know we should leave right now, but I might as well kill some more people for no apparent reason. Hilarious memes like, dude, I got six more guys before I level up. Dude, that made so me laugh out loud funny. so much because that so is exactly funny. how I felt. He's like, no, no, I'm trying to get a quest. <laughs> yeah, more kills. Um, I want to be top of the leaderboard. Outpost in the chat says that maybe he's trying to get to the Night King because you saw him going for the spear, which I think that people have mentioned before. But I feel like he ran out there and started doing that before he really looked at that or the Night King went for the spear. I could have been wrong. No, um, nope. The Night King arms up his magical ice javelin, and then I and then in my note, the next note says, "Where is John going?" So it's plausible that he had a feeling this was going to be the case, but how? It's so dumb. The how? How could John look at the Night King, see him grab a spear, and be like, "Fuck, he's going to throw that and kill a dragon. I better go kill some bros." Yeah. Um, Scott Cruz says. <laughs> Scott Cruz in chat says John has a death wish, or he has a fear of commitment. Which is the greatest thing that I've ever read in my life. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, she wants to take my hand. He's like, I can't. I can't make a fucking family. I'm going to charge the Night King instead. I, I don't know. This was silly to me. Kids, I mean, kids, come on. I, I don't, there's no reason why John, other than that they wanted him to be, in the, they wanted him to fall in the lake so you could maybe think he was dead and then you got to see Benjen and then you got to see how much Danny loved him. Like, was that the whole point in this? Was to see how much Danny loves him? Because I, I've seen, I know you said you were excited about seeing Amelia Clark like act in this manner and be softer and more emotional, but like I've already seen her in a rom-com, so I'm all set. Wow. <laughs> all right, so let's talk about this and talk the objectively dragon. if possible. About what, the dragon? About the stuff you're just saying. I'm going to say some stuff about it now. Oh, we can talk more about that though, when they're all sitting in the bed. 
No, not that. Oh. The, the Night King and John, oh. where he's going. Okay. So, first of all, the shot of the Night King lining up his javelin shot almost made me laugh out loud because it was such an absurd shot. <laughs> I was like, come on. It would have been so much more gangster if the Night King just pulled it out, looked up at the sky and went, and fucking threw it, didn't line it up. It would have been so much more undead to me. But him lining up the shot just looked fucking stupid. It looks like he was playing football. It just looks silly. He's lining up the shot with his arm. It would have been cool if he just, in that undead, unyielding manner, went, turned and went, and just whipped the fucking spear like Brad Pitt did in that movie Troy. That just would have been so much cooler to me. With contempt, just fire. would have been better than lining it up. It was just silly looking. The dragon dying was nuts. And it was interestingly timed. As it's breathing fire, he hits it. And the fire starts pouring out of the wound. Holy shit, man. And blood flying everywhere. That was wild looking and horrific. I, I know you said like the second time, like you felt like the tragedy and like the. Oh, it's brutal. But like I felt it the first time, like that. And I don't know if it's like the animal thing that like Could gets be. me all worked up all the time. Um, but it, oh my God, it's so tragic and it's such a heavy moment. And, and there, there's so much weight to it for everybody. Yes. Because you see the reaction of, yes, Danny, of, yes, Jorah, people who know all the dragons, but Torment, mm -hmm. who's never even seen a dragon before, his reaction. Yep. There's so much weight to the fact that this thing can be just killed like that. Easily. And, and we saw, again, we saw this giant spear that they made that they thought was fantastic hit a dragon in a similar spot and kind of wound him a little. Right. This thing killed the dragon that's immediately. A, that's a great point. I didn't even think of that. That's a really good point. That's some magic fucking shit right there. Yeah. The dragon crashing, slumping into the lake, that whole thing, oh him God, skipping so along the ice was amazing. I can't. It makes me like, it actually makes me, I, I think it sad. is the animal thing. It really, oh my God, it really gets to me. It, it, it's 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 very hard to watch. There There is, the there is a lot of weight behind that. Yeah, the other dragon screeching. Their reactions, the oh my God. It's oh, good shit too. It's devastating. John and the Night King exchanging glances was awesome. Um, but then John gets tackled into the water, which, man, uh, is John immortal? Probably. Like, he gets tackled into the fucking freezing water and is sinking, wearing not good swimming clothes, going into, if we're to believe that this water let's just pretend it's only negative 20 Fahrenheit where they're at, which is still fucking super cold. When it was negative 10 here in Massachusetts, we were like, okay, walk the dog for 30 seconds, let her pay a quick run inside. Mm -hmm. This is such brutal weather to get tackled. You're exhausted. This is another thing the show always never accounts for. So many people are like, you could hold your breath that long. Sure. If you go into a pool and you're calm, and your fucking heart rate is low, and you go, <gasps> He was literally this is screaming. in the middle of a... In any case, in any movie you ever watch, it's always bullshit, because they always hold their breath after being in a wicked melee where they'd be totally gassed, you know? And again, not only... He, I have the subtitles on when I watch, and he's screaming when he's underwater. Yeah, yeah, he's exhaling all his air, right. Um, the only thing I can... Is the show telling us now... Don't worry about John. He's going to live till the end. I think once you bring him back to life, you're telling us that. Yeah, but there's been a lot of speculation that he might be before the season. Before the season, people are like, John's probably going to die for Danny and make it like a thing. But I'm getting the impression he's just unkillable. I have always 
Since he was brought back from the dead, I have always felt that way. I never felt like you was going to, although someone will find a podcast where I said it, so I but better watch no, it myself. And there's really no precedent to assume he can't be killed because Barrick was killed six times. I know. So I don't know. But that, that it's, it's, it's writing. It's almost like meta thinking. Like once, once you kill Jon Snow and you bring him back from the dead, you're not going to then kill him again because what was the point in doing all the shit and bringing him back from the dead? We'll see. That's just, it's, it's just, it's like a meta thing. So anyway, Danny takes off. I love that the wing buffet blows over a bunch of whites when it goes, they all fucking fall over. I thought that was awesome. Uh, Jorah almost falls off. The Night King and his homies roll out. I hate that, the, the, again, that was so cheesy and like tropey to me. Like what? Jorah almost falling off the dragon. Someone grabbing his hand last second and saving him. Like it, that was just like, like a tropey trope shot that I feel like I've seen in a million movies. Yeah. They're headed to the massive chain store. <laughs> the Night King and his homies. Oh my God, so stupid. Sorry. Whatever. I mean, what would have been better is if it was just made of ice because then we just go, oh, he made it with magic. Yeah. You just make but the chains I'm, ice. It's fine. I'm not as upset about, like, I know people are like, where the fuck do those chains come from? And there's, like, I'd like to know where they came from, but I don't care. Well, we know there's a water, we know there's a giant lake there. Some I, people are speculating it's from some kind of ship. Yeah, then somebody said they saw like a, a zombie, like a ghost ship in the episode. But what? I think they just made that up. So it works said that to me. I think, I think they're, they're just making it up. So the whites realize he has surfaced. They turn around and start charging John. And then Benjamin rolls in. At the exact right moment, conveniently. <laughs> With his fucking magical flail. Here's something that really stood out to me as emotional. It provoked emotion out of me on a second viewing. When he says Uncle Benjamin. Uncle Benjamin. I agree. Like the way he says it is the shock and, and delight and surprise in the fact that he's freezing. That's really good shit out of Kit Harrington. I really want to co comment on that. The Kit way Harrington he says, has grown as an actor. Big time. The way he says Uncle Benjamin is so beautiful. It, it makes me think of when he was, you know, stabbed by everybody when he was killed, that they tell him, they come in and they're like, we found your Uncle Benjamin. And this is what he's told right before he's killed. He's betrayed and killed by these people. And there's something about the fact that that all happened. And then he's out there and he actually gets to see Uncle Benjamin. Like, I don't know. Like, that means something. Yep. I agree. Um, yeah. he, he gives him his horse um, and sends him away so he can go die. I agree with Sarah Torkelson. <laughs> Um, and the chat says it's like Rose and Jack with the door. He could have made it. And I agree. Who, Benjamin? Yes. What, well, if they were both on the horse? Whether she not. Yes, there, there's no reason why they had enough time to sit and have a conversation for him to throw John on the horse and send the horse away and then walk out to where all these guys were and fight with them. I think he had time to just jump on the horse too and they could have gone together. Yeah, it's fair. So, just being honest. But they were like, hey, we got to wrap this shit up. So here's Uncle Benjamin. Love each other. Hope somebody's got him in their Deadpool, which somebody does. Is he dead? Yes. Okay. If John Marginson says he's dead, he's dead. Oh, did he? Did John? And John Marginson says he's dead. All right, fair enough. And we'll get to that stuff in a minute here. But he puts John on his horse, sends him away. The hound dumps the white into the boat. Barrick and Tormund see him off. We will meet again in Clegane. I fucking hope not. Hm. I love it. Danny's dragon flies around sad. I know, I wrote the same thing. Waiting. A dragonfly sadly overhead. He misses his brother, I oh. wrote. Danny watches from the wall. A great shot of her. She turns to leave and we hear the horn and it's John. Again, with the, I love this like perfect timing shit. I think I'm just getting nitpicky though now because I was annoyed yeah. about Let's so many other things. <laughs> yeah, John um, is back. Jorah is still in the friend zone, I wrote. He sure is. 
Uh, and I think Jorah has come and made peace with that. Uh, later, John's clothes are frozen. Did you catch that? Yes. Fucking so crazy. That was brutal. So he can't die. Um, they put him in bed, Danny. sees his terrific knife wound scars. I call them his murder scars. Ooh, I like it. We cut away for something and then we come back to this. Why are, where are my notes here? I, we probably cut away to go to another scene. We probably went to Sansanari or something. Yeah, I just might have taken my notes a little wrong. Nope, so. nope. There's there's a cut for sure before oh. we come back. Okay. I have one of mine too. All right. So what now? This We're still in the same place. We'll continue through the rest. So the ship to Dragonstone. <clears throat> oh, that's why I wrote it that way. So John wakes to see Danny watching over him. I'm sorry. Never John's first words. And I like that. Me too. I, I love John's, the, I loved his reaction and how he felt for her with the dragon. He means it. Mm-hmm. He does. He, he really means it. And I think this is good shit out of Amelia Clark. She's trying to keep it together and we know how impossible that is. And for a change, I feel like we're seeing her struggling to keep it together. Right. And I, and I think that there's something to not just that, you know, this is hard for her with a dragon who's like her child, but her reaction to John, like coming back to seeing his wounds, um, waiting for him, her, like her reaction to him is out of character. Not in a way where I'm saying like they wrote her wrong, like they made a mistake here. It's out of character because there's something different with her and John than anything. I've never seen her react to another person and care for another person this way in the show. Even called Drogo, I don't feel like, you know, when he was dying, we have the sad scene when Khal Drogo dies and, and all this crap. But but just the way she reacts to John with such a little time having spent together it is different to me. Mm-hmm. It's a Danny we haven't seen before. Mm-hmm. It's it's a different side of her character. Do you like it? I, no, I do. And I know I made a joke and I said, I've already seen her in rom-com and I don't need it. And I, I some of this stuff I thought was a little silly, but in general... I do appreciate that they're like, okay, this is different. Like, I don't, I don't need this love story like everybody allow, else. Does. Allow me to see if I can paint a picture with some words. Sure. So, think of Danny's story coming to Westeros, realizing she's going to do what she's going to do. She's going to fight Cersei. She has some setbacks, has a good victory, and then is like, fine, John, let's let's fucking go with your ridiculous, stupid plan. She goes out there, loses a dragon is really shocked at the way she feels about potentially losing John and realizing a couple of things. Number one, John was right. This changes everything. I'm not going to get a chance to break the wheel now because we have a new threat to deal with. So my whole life is like changing right before my eyes. I lost Viserion, which I think makes her incredibly vulnerable. She thinks of them as her children. She almost lost John which I think surprises her on how she feels. And I think this is good stuff out here. He reaches for her hand. Something that this show has never had happen before. When is the last time we've seen, and I'm not saying they're going to, but but we see the inklings there of them potentially coupling willingly and not being a fucking military alliance. It's so much beyond that. It's you know, Cersei's going to marry this one for this one. Tyrion's going to marry this one for this one. This one's going to marry this one for this one. Marjorie's got to marry this one for this one. It's never really choice. It, Drogo, she was fucking sold to him in a sense to get the Dothraki army for Viserys. For, for Viserys. And it's just fucked up that that's how it's always been in Westeros until this moment where these two people are like, wow, are, do we really have a choice here? 
I'm not saying they're making that choice. I'm just saying there's a lot of emotional weight to the scene, considering all the shit that's happened to her and, of course, him, but to her. Major, major loss in Viserion that cannot be overstated and and really being shocked at thinking, holy shit, I, I might lose John. That was really in her mind. Her reaction to seeing him come through the woods was great. Her catching her breath. Um, and I think that just continues into this scene. Um, she says, I wish we, we he, um, he says, I wish I could take it back. I wish we'd never gone. And that's a powerful thing for her to, for him to say, but even, even more powerful for her to say, I don't. I mean, that is serious growth and leadership, in my opinion. For her to say, I don't think that says a lot because she lost Viserion. That's massive for her to not say, for her to say, I don't. And yes, I wish we didn't go and my fucking dragon was still alive shows a, a, a monumental shift in her thought process and in what she knows and how sacrifice has to make this reality if she wants to destroy this wheel in a different way. If we hadn't gone, I wouldn't have seen. You have to see it to know. Now I know. The dragons are my children. They're the only children I will ever have. Do you understand? We are going to destroy the Night King and his army, and we will do it together. You have my word. And this is where we get the cute little reprieve where he says, Thank you, Danny. Danny. Who was the last one to call me that? Wasn't my brother. Not the company you want to keep. All right, not Danny. How about my queen? I like this. I'm sorry. Yeah, whatever. It's cute, I guess. Danny hopes she deserves it, which was another great and humbling moment for her to say I, something yeah, like I agree. this. She needed to say something like this. And it's nice to see her with her guard down. It's nice to see her with somebody she can trust. She trusts John. She doesn't have to be this strong uh, and powerful, draconic, you could argue, a person who's like, this is the way it's going to be done. We don't care. I'm burning the Tarleys. This is a different side of Danny that we get to see that we've never really seen. We certainly didn't see it with Dario. Ugh, don't even say that disgusting name So anyway, Danny hopes she deserves it. You do. Um, they hold hands again. This time, it's her that initiates the handhold. She bids him adieu. I wrote they make out. They didn't. But that was just in my mind, I guess. Yeah. You should get some rests. And then, of course, Viserion's pulled out of the water and reanimated by the Night King. Oh, which is so sad. Oof. I, I drew a sad face. That's that's a great closing scene to an episode, by the way. It's great. And I'm and I'm forced to ask myself the following question: Is the Night King immune to dragon's fire? Because he surely stepped on it and, and extinguished. Like, I know a lot of people were saying, why doesn't she just have Drogon turn and spout fire at the Night King? She probably should have. Yeah, I don't understand why she didn't, but... But I'm fine. guessing we would have seen it do nothing to him. Maybe it would have killed his White Walkers. That would have been awesome. But can he be harmed by dragon fire? The mm-hmm. fact that he just walked... Because the fire that's on the ground is clearly dragon fire because it didn't come from anything else. And he just sort of steps to it and it just goes and dissipates. It's crazy. All right. Let's get to our listener comments and then we'll wrap with some final thoughts. Okay. I'll let you take care of listener comments and I'll do the Deadpool. Ooh. Mm. So, so here's the deal. There's only a gazillion listener comments. There's only a gazillion. So I guess a lot of the listener comments that are on here were just sentiments shared by us in the episode, which was the travel time. Some people are like, fuck off. Who cares about the travel time? Get over it. Some people are like, no, but it matters. Um, I think it's a, it's a, an amalgamation of the two, but, um, I'll just run through a couple of these quickly. Dylan Shields, 
Arya needs to chill about the letter and its and its weak writing for D and D to make so much plot out of it. It was obviously written under duress. All the Winterfell stuff and the lapses in time and last week's ridiculous bits like Bronn and Jamie escaping. It's like um, D and D are flailing. Or every time they say D and D, I think Dungeons and Dragons. So I'm just gonna Me say too. Benioff and Weiss are flailing around without GRRM's guidance and showing that they're really just mediocre writers. Um, I agree with a lot of what Dylan, Dylan is saying here. I don't know if I agree that they're mediocre writers because they're trying to fill in the blanks on something that they probably were told they were going to have. Um, so, I, I mean, it's not like they're writing this from scratch, but, I mean, he has some good points for sure. Um, Lou, big old fucking Lou says, that was fun. Sure, there were some stupid, the plan continues to be insane, uh, side note, according to some Reddit users, the Raven email service apparently makes sense if all the Magnificent Seven camped out on that rock for around four days, which is also how long water apparently would take to freeze. We talked about this. Which would be fine, but the show does not do a great job of showing the passage of time, which I agree with Lou. If it was four days, make it feel like four days. Anyway, Lou says, sure, some of the writers, the writing uh, is a tad questionable, but the interactions were fun and the action was fun. I actually think the biggest issue with the show right now is failing to give a good sense of the passage of time. Clearly, Benioff and Weiss' party were camped out on that rock for a... F oh, oh, I'm sorry. No, he's actually saying D&D &D like D&D. &D. Okay. Clearly, our D&D &D party were camped out on that rock for a few days, but they used none of the usual tricks TV had to show that happening. Weird editorial choice. That's also good shit out of big fucking Lou. I really appreciate that. <clears throat> Michael Claudio says, Aria, the writers had no real plan for her. I can't help but feel and wonder what the plan is. So she leaves Bravos, comes here, and murders House Frey. We all rejoice. She's using her skill she learned. She then ultimately goes north to see her family. Instead of offering her skills and services, she wants to be creepy and make a creeperson and wear her sister's face. What the fuck? Arya used to be a badass on the show. Now she's doing less than Bran. The Arya that I've read and seen on the show doesn't have this arc. Yeah, her and Sansa didn't get along as kids, but they also never showed her disdain for Sansa after Ned got his head chopped off. I used to like Arya, but for, as the season progresses and they go further away from the material, I just don't care. And finally, I'm going to read uh, 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 Mr. Nathan. Oh, no, I'm going to read. I'm going to skip Nathan. I'm going to read LSK because he loved it. Big fan. He's in here. What the fuck is that? Is that sarcasm? No, yeah, for sure. I was going to say, LSK does not love anything. Where did his comment go? I just had it. And then, you know, you click more and you scroll away and it disappears. Here. Um... It's always nice to see fans with high IQs. Oh, he's referring to the criticism I got on our thread. People should know those of us that are the most critical, the ones who love this show the most. It's been seven years for viewers and 21 for readers. It's simply just heartbreaking and insulting to see the story and these characters that have grown to be loved portrayed so quickly. Obviously, after watching 66 hours of television, we're all going to finish the series, but I'm always going to wonder what could have been. Damn, poor LSK. I'm sorry for you, buddy. Uh, Mike Hilger was high on it, had plenty of good things to say. <clears throat> and I guess that's good. Good enough comments for now. Thanks to everyone who wrote in. There's plenty of shit in here for sure. Jason Tick, I'm officially Team Night King. There you go. There's a couple of people who said the same. Annie says she wants Uncle Benjamin's weapon. <laughs> How can someone be Team Guy Who Murdered a Dragon? Hey. Shame on you. Would you like to know why? Arian Sansa's bullshit has proven to me Starks are never going to get better. Lannister's shit, just our shit in general. Bronn misses, you know, who doesn't miss? Night King. <laughs> Starks arguing bullshit, you know who doesn't? Night King. Lannister's backstabbing sister fuck, you know who doesn't? Night King. He has John's blessing. All right, let's get to the Deadpool, my friend. 
Okay. <clears throat> Who's winning in the, in the host pool? Can we get right to that? I'm not even going to talk about the host pool because I'm fairly certain that if I read you the names of the people on my Deadpool, we won't even see any of them except for maybe Cersei until next season. But, but who's winning in the Deadpool? Who did I have? Yeah, you had one person die. Thoris of Mir. You mm. almost had two people die. Yeah. Because I thought Tormund was on my team. Again, I've made them, this mistake like three times this season where I thought somebody was on my like Deadpool and they weren't. Um, So I was 100% certain Tormund was on my Deadpool. Yeah. Still didn't want him to die. And now I'm mad he didn't die, but also happy because of your Deadpool. It's complicated. It's real complicated. I need a lot of death next week. Anyways... Division one, the crown land still. Um, Viscount Keem, the master of coin, um, has been number one for a long time. Who does he have? I'm not, I can't read everybody who we have that I've read every time. It'll take forever. He has okay. Oberus and Olena Tyrell. Just read who, who just read the, the people in first place and who they have. Does that work? Oh, okay. Okay. Sure. That's sure. Um, so same person in first place still in the north. Um, I, I want to read the people who were on it that weren't on it before. That's what I've always oh, okay. done. Okay, yeah, that's cool. Okay. Um, so anyways, um, so Crownlands, we still have the same person first place. No changes there. Um, Kelly Beam, uh, Lady Kelly Break of Change is now on the board with Thoris of Mir. Nice. Um, Lord Christopher, the King's Justice is now on the board um, with Viserion. Ooh. The dragon. What a pick. Um, and Countess Grisban, Lady of Dragonstone, is on the board with Benjamin Stark. I like to ask him why he had Viserion. Yeah, why Viserion? Like, hmm. did somebody else pick any of the other dragons? Because it was named after the shitty brother in Viserys. I don't know. Maybe. Um, in the north, still in first place, is First Ranger McAllister. Um, and Lord Fernald, still in second place. Um, but we now have Lord Black Snow on the board with Benjamin Stark, hmm. um, as well as uh, Magnar Holloway of the Thens, who also had Benjamin Stark. Damn. Heavy on Benjamin Stark in the north, oddly enough. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, Riverland, still Lord Peter the South in first. Um, still Lady Kilcher, Paramount of the Trident in second. Um, Jester James of Pentos, still in third place. And there is no movement in the Riverlands. No Damn. one else has lost anybody there. That's crazy. Um, Stormlands, there's finally been some serious action over here. Nice. Um, this one from the division where nobody had anybody dead. And then uh, Sir Vandevere, the Lightning Lord, had Benjen Stark and Viserion. Dude. So he's making a real play. Um, but you know what? Next week, he's got Davos, Brienne, Cersei, and Jamie. That's who he's got left in his Deadpool. So. He might be sitting there for a while. He might not be moving. I, I, I don't know. Huh. I don't see any Lannisters dying anymore, sadly. Um, in the Vale, Lady um, Sturbling, uh, Light of the East, is in first place. She already had Dick on Tarly, and she's added Thoris of Mir to her list. Hmm. Um, then Lady Tice, Protector of the Eerie, still is in second. Keith Bonneau is still on the list in third. And uh, the Dark Star, Tony Piccolo, has uh, joined the ranks of Division Five, The Veil, vale, with uh, Thoris of Mir. Um, oh, and Samantha, the Red Priestess, Samantha Papa, our real-life friend and former neighbor, had Benjamin Stark, and she is also... Damn, powerful uh, ...joined Sam. the list. The Veil's got some serious stuff going on now, I must say. Awesome. Um, Westerlands... Um, Queen of Roiner still in first place. Lord Gunn still, well, technically, I think they're tied. Um, Lord Jackson, also Elena Tyrell, all tied. And now Marcos, the Maester of the Citadel, has joined with Thoros of Mir. They're only tied if they have them in the same exact order. Oh, shit, and I forgot Baron Kenny, Warden of the West. Okay, cool. Also has Viserion. <clears throat> Weird. 
Uh, John's in the live chat right now, and he says no other dragons were picked. That's so weird. Super Why? Weird. Why? Super weird. I'm just so curious. Hmm. Why Viserion? And I love the picture of him, by the way. Like, uh, if you look at like the Deadpool site, like the picture of him, like is is this like when he was a baby? <laughs> it's like the silliest little dragon picture I've ever seen, and I love it. It makes me like laugh. Every All right, time I tell see people it. where they can. We're in the Deadpool, or if, if they want to check it out and they're not, tell them what the URL to go to. PromiseMeNerds.com. Boom. PromiseMeNerds.com. Or you can go to LSGmedia.net and, and get to it through a through a menu portal. You can do either. Or. Uh, so there you have it. Good shit. By the way, who is left in my Deadpool? Hadeen's Deadpool consists of uh, the Mountain, Gregor Clegane, Peter Baelish, Beric Dondarrion, Tormund Giantsbane, Edmure Tully, Thoros of Mir. That's a good pool, but Yep, Gregor um, Gregor Clegane, probably going to die. Littlefinger could die. Beric Dondarrion's not going to die I know, now. I know. Um, Tormund's not going to die now. And we're never to see Edmure Tully again. It's true. So that was a waste. But then that's compared to me, who has Cersei Lannister, who's not going to die now. Euron Greyjoy, who's not going to die now. Podrick, who we might not even see. Yon Royce, who we might not even see. Grey Worm, who for sure is going to die. He's my only definite death. Not, not um, before the season's out. You don't think so? I think 100% Grey Worm dies in the finale. You think it's going to escalate into combat? I 100% think Grey Worm is dead. Hmm. If Grey and, Worm dies, then then all bets are off. That means there's a war at King's Landing. I, I think he's dead. I, I, don't I mean, if Grey Worm dies, then there's a war at King's Landing. Then all those people are on the table, including Cersei. Grey Worm's dead. Okay. I feel confident about that. That's my one death I feel confident about. I also have Braun, but I mean, basically he had a dragon <laughs> blowing fire in his face and he lived and he had a hundred like a uh, Dothraki fighting him and every other person around him died except him. So I'm pretty sure that he is unkillable just like Jon Snow at this point. He might be the prince that was promised. That's wild. So that's what I have to say about that. If anyone's wondering about my dead I'll post 31 says Golden Army to wipe out the Unsullied. You might be onto something. Yeah. I am telling you a hundred percent. All right. Anything else you want to say about this week? You hate it less, though. I Yeah, I did hate it. The first time I watched it, I was really disappointed, but I hated it less. It has its high moments, and and really the biggest problem is they got real cute with the, like, not killing anybody shit, mm -hmm. and the, the Sansa and Arya stuff is awful. And if I call her Sansa, just, I'm so it. tired now I'm calling her Sansa. Like, this is my life. It's okay. You're all good. <laughs> You're dismissed. I know. I need to be dismissed. It's my bedtime. I don't have much more to say about this episode except that I think it's I think it's better on a rewatch. Um, I also think that plot armor, as it's been thrown around on the internet, is is kind of an annoyance when you have all these guys go north of the wall and you terrify us. And I, I mean, I'm not saying it's not inexplicable that these guys get out of this, but I think if you really want us to 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 feel the impact, you got to bump off another character, maybe two. I agree. Um, but. Otherwise, I think there's a lot to celebrate here. I think there's a lot going on. I am, I'm standing up for Sansa. I'm sorry. I'm still doing it. Um, I think there's some good stuff out of Amelia Clark. Uh, the dragon shit, the, the, the stuff north of the wall is pretty cool. The, the melee fighting wasn't amazing. I will say that this director, I don't know. I, I know he's done episodes before, but the, I, the, the actual combat didn't blow my socks off like, like some of the combat has before. Like, this is the show that gave us the fight between the Hound and Brienne, which was choreographed amazingly. Mm -hmm. uh, some of this fighting was a little chintzy, just swinging around at little skeletons and then blowing apart. But, um, but other than that, look, it's not a perfect episode of TV. Does it ruin the series? No. Relax. 
Um, if it ruins the series for you, you, you got to step back for a minute and be like, whoa, it's just a TV show. I got to chill for a minute. Um, but other than that, I'm looking forward to the finale. I think we're in for uh, a pretty, a pretty intense experience. I think uh, the good news is that even though there's been a couple of writing faux pas, you still have another season left. Hopefully it ends very strongly and it sticks to landing. But uh, I'm hopeful and uh, I'm pretty confident based on the rest of the episodes we've seen throughout the entire run of the series. All right, mm-hmm. we're going to get out of here. We Oh, do we know what day we're recording next week? I don't want to make any promises. I, I originally said we'd definitely try and do it Monday, but I'm I'm more up in the air. Somebody it's, was it's, asking because they're going to take their day off around. I think it was Annie. She sent us a message in Facebook. So if we can let her know and the rest of the listeners yeah, ASAP. I, well, I, I'll, I'll kind of look at my schedule and figure out kind of the what stuff I need to get done on what day. I can I can probably do either day, to be honest with you. Um, I just got to figure out when I'm going to get other shit done that I need to get done. I just want to say I appreciate it. That's some fucking powerful dedication when you're trying to decide because you want to be in the live show. That's that's awesome. So thank you very yeah, much. Yeah, we, we appreciate that um, for sure. Powerful, Annie. All right, we're out of here. We'll see you next week. Take it easy. All right, bye, guys. Ladies and gentlemen, thanks for checking out LSG Media's coverage of A Game of Thrones. Make sure you check us out on the web at libertystreetgeek.net. That's libertystreetgeek.net, where you can see other shows we have like The Walking Dead and the Science Fiction Film Podcast. All right, folks, we will catch you next week. Have a good one.